Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the Oz Network coming to you today for our last romantic comedy month movie for 2023. It's been the month that everybody didn't know they wanted and they've gotten and we've loved every second of it. And what a way to close it out as we go back to 1999, Party Like Prince, because it's Notting Hill starring everybody's favourite person from the British Isles, Re-Siphons. It's also got Hugh Grant in it. It's also got Julia Roberts in it. I think you might have heard of them. Uh, Richard Curtis wrote this movie. Misha Barton was doing this before Neighbours. Um, Alec Baldwin shows up. I mean, everybody shows up in this movie, even some orange juice on your shirt. But I'm very excited to talk about this movie because one person on this episode hadn't seen it until now and i don't know what he thinks about it and if he doesn't like it i will leave uh my name is bernie and i'm so sorry there's no excuse for me and my name is colin profession mel gibson's bottom (laughs) so many in this one that i wanted to use (laughs) and i try to deliver that like hugh grander bernie (laughs) bernie Maybe my favourite line in this entire movie. <laughs> I'm dying to know, Colin. Please tell me you like this movie. This movie is so good. Please tell me you like this movie. Uh, you know, I spent this entire month almost dreading this movie. Um, for no other reason than the fact that I've avoided this movie for 24 years now and kind of had it in my head that it was this overly sappy. I mean, I, I like Richard Curtis. I like you know uh, Love Actually, but I'm like, oh, this Love Actually is probably a parody of Notting Hill. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. This is a really clever, funny movie. And I enjoyed it so much that I basically stopped taking notes about two thirds of the way through the movie just because I just sat down and enjoyed the movie and I forgot that I was taking notes. This movie's great. Yeah. Um, I was missing out for the last 24 years. <laughs> Told you. I think it was back when we did the replacements. Or it might have even been actually um, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Because that's obviously, I think, the first thing we did with Reese Hyphen did. And I think that's when I it blew my mind that you didn't, kind of know who this guy was from Notting Hill because this was the movie that made Reese Eifens a thing. I mm. mean, I know he was in other things, I think, before this, but, like, I mean, this was the one, and as you kind of alluded to last week, always kind of seen as the star of this movie, which I, I'm hoping yeah. you kind of agree with. But, yeah, it's it's one of these ones, like, when we discuss this month and we talk about our love for You've Got Mail, this was always the other one where it's kind of like, as a man, I'm probably not meant to like this movie, but um, always love this movie. And this... And You've Got Mail was so on the cusp of my top 50 movies of all time to the point where I watched this film and last week I'm like, I regret not putting it in my top 50. You know, I love Batman v Superman, but come on, this is better than Batman v Superman. I can probably remove that from my top 50 and replace it with Notting Hill. Um, But yeah, like similar to You've Got Mail, I I don't remember seeing this for the first time. 
I, again, think it just came down to it was on TV one time. Maybe I watched it with my mum. Maybe dad had watched it and was like one of those Saturday night movie nights. Come on, Ben, let's watch this instead. But then it kind of turned into a You've Got Mail. I recorded it off TV one time, or maybe it was one of these ones I got Trent Queen to record from DVD to VHS, and it would just be one that I would just put on. It was, you know, Saturday at Ben's house after school or school holidays. I'm like, oh, Notting Hill, great movie. And it just always struck a chord with me, always loved it. And I think, like, touching on the Richard Curtis aspect of it, um, I'm sure we'll do, if we do this as an annual month every year, four weddings and a funeral. I've only ever seen that once and kind of think it's a little bit overrated. I don't think it's as great as everybody says it is, but it's still a good movie. But you obviously talk about Mr. Bean. I was a massive Mr. Bean fan. He also Blackadder. Blackadder. I I sort of watched it on and off with my dad. I did like it, but I sort of it wasn't one of the ones that I got super into as much as say Mr. Bean, Faulty Towers, uh, or The Vicar of Dibley, which he also helped write. That was another one which I watched with my mum a lot. So, and obviously love actually. I mean Richard Curtis is just an icon, um, and this is kind mm-hmm. of almost. Uh, in a way, a biographical well, half, at least where he lives, but then mixed with a friend of his that still to this day, I couldn't do any friend, fo- friend yeah, met and famous person and fell in love with. But I was actually watching, before I get into your history, one thing before I forget, I'd watched it before, but I think I shared it with you back when we did About a Boy a year or so ago. Uh, is, is it Vanity or GQ do that great series where they get an actor, they sit them down and they kind of just go over their film highlights. It's like usually a 20-minute video. Hugh Grant did one and um, he talks about this film in it and he basically is like, how had no one ever done this? This is the most simplest concept of a movie ever and yeah. the fact that nobody had ever done this blew his mind. Um, and it's one of those films I think that Hugh Grant is best known for that bubbling like, oh, oh, I see, I'm Hugh Grant and oh, 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 oh type of personality. But it works. So that went in from my history of this film into something about the film. So uh, welcome to the Oz Network if you've been to listen to us when we go on tangents. Um, I, I mean, don't really have much of a history of this movie. It, <laughs> it, I, I liked Hugh Grant, uh, particularly because of Nine Months. Uh, nine Months to me is right up there with Bullfingers, one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and I kind of went out of way to watch a lot of Hugh Grant stuff growing up, even though most of his movies were probably geared a little bit older than I was. I mean, even for, I think, probably check out Four Days of Funeral after nine months, you know, didn't quite get it at the time. I did see it again years later and actually really enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, a lot of uh, Sense and Sensibility. I, I remember renting Sense and Sensibility because I'm like, it's got Hans Gruber and it's got Hugh Grant. And it wasn't exactly. And Rose made from Titanic? For- <laughs> well, I, I might have rented it before even Titanic existed, but uh, but yeah, I remember being really excited for that just because that's how much I liked Hugh Grant. And this might have been the first movie that I sort of avoided with Hugh Grant during the '90s. Uh, and after this, you know, about a boy, obviously, I was still watching everything else, music and lyrics, all that. Uh, but uh, I've always tried to figure out what it was, and I think part of it is when you look at the release date of this movie, it, it came out either right before, or right after the Phantom Menace, week and after. I mean, yeah, one week after the Phantom Menace, so. There was no time to watch anything other than Star Wars. Uh, now, About a Boy had the same thing. And when we covered About a Boy last year, uh, I said that took me several months to see in theaters because, again, it opened opposite Attack of the Clones. So he, don't open against the Star Wars movie, Hugh Grant, and then oh, I'll be there opening day. Uh, but uh, I think a combination of that and the fact that Julia Roberts, I mean, she'd done My Best Friend's Wedding. We didn't barely even talk about Pretty Woman. I think we just briefly mentioned it. She really took a break from rom-coms uh, for most of the 90s and did a lot of drama. And I think one of the ones I remember was the movie with Mel Gibson's Bottom, um, Conspiracy Theory. 
And then she finally decided I'm going to embrace rom-coms again, did my best friend's wedding. Uh, that's a great movie. I remember seeing that even at the time and just loving it. Uh, but uh, to me, the trailer for this, and then you had Runaway Bride coming out the same summer, and then you had America's Sweethearts after this. I think I just, I basically wrote off anything Julia Roberts was in when there was a rom-com, even though the one that I watched My Best Friend Wedding, I enjoyed, just because they all seem like overly sappy and not really my thing. Um, that's why I'm, I'm so pleasantly surprised this movie's not really your typical rom-com. I mean, the, the romantic comedy aspects of it are actually very smart and unpredictable. Uh, the comedy part of this is just brilliant, and it screams Richard Curtis's sense of humor, too. Uh, but uh, uh, now that I finally watched this movie, I mean, uh, a lot of the judgments might be, especially with the, the one big line from this movie that everybody knows, you know, I, I was cringing right before I knew that line was about to come up because I'm like, this is just one of those things where it's so overdone and everybody quotes it. And then they quote it in the movie. I'm like, well, that actually really works. Like, <laughs> everything with this movie just sort of caught me off guard. Um, I, I'm actually excited uh, not just to talk about Richard Curtis here because uh, both Mr. Bean and Black Adder made my top 50 favorite shows of all time. Uh, I also love Love Actually, but the, the director of this, now I, I thought that Richard Curtis directed this, but it was following this where he got his directorial debut, Love Actually. Um, this though was directed by Roger Mitchell, who we might not even have talked about this during Double Oz 7, but he was the original guy hired to direct Quantum of Solace and he dropped out when they were rushing the movie and there were all these screenplay problems. Because uh, what Roger Mitchell did following Notting Hill was a movie with Daniel Craig and Reese Ifans called Enduring Love that I've mentioned on 007 several times. It's a very creepy type movie about Reese Ifans basically developing an unnatural obsession with Daniel Craig, as we all would. Uh, but really good movie. Uh, very different from this. And even another movie he made called Changing Lanes or Ben Affleck. Changing like, Lanes, yeah. Yeah, and, and like, you wouldn't think the guy who made Notting Hill would make any of those. If you look at everything else in his filmography, I mean, nothing else is anything like Notting Hill. I mean, to me, this almost just feels like a Richard Curtis movie. I don't want to take anything away from whatever Roger Mitchell did for this movie. Uh, but uh, I mean, this is 100% a Richard Curtis movie. And I, I, I do like Roger Mitchell, though. And I have still crossed my fingers he might be able to do a Bond movie one day because he's very good at what he does uh, when he does action stuff like Changing Lanes. Well, if you think about 1999... I mean, I don't think American Beauty is really a romantic comedy. If we could fit that into a romantic comedy month, I wouldn't say no. I mean, maybe with Kevin Spacey, it technically is a comedy now. But um, obviously, Sam Mendes went on to do a Bond film. So, I mean, that was maybe mm -hmm. a bit more stylistic than Notting Hill. But um, I think what and, – and Hugh Grant described it in this interview where he says that Richard Curtis makes such good romantic comedies because he is such a romantic. He gets romance. And I would go out on a limb and say this is up there with Pretty Woman as just the, the manner in which it betrays the love between these two. Um, mm. And I think, again, Hugh Grant kind of touches on that because I think when you've got like a plot line of boy meets girl and girls Hollywood superstar and he just runs a bookstore, like you can run it in a certain way, but they, they humanize the Julia Roberts character so well. And I think, you know, they make you feel for this like huge film star and it's kind of, you know, maybe Pretty Woman, I think, does it better just because you sort of get a lot more on-screen time with them over a shorter period of time where you really see them fall for each other, whereas this is obviously spread out, what, like over a year, essentially. But it still yeah. does it in a way. I mean, if you really break down their interactions, they only really have, like, two, three days they spend with each other before that sort uh, of... I, yeah, I was I was going to bring that up in comparison to something like Casino Royale. Um, <laughs> I, look, but, I, and I'm not saying I don't buy this movie. I buy both of them. I, I think that there's way less in this than there is something like Casino Royale and way less than even they have in like pretty... Basically all the movies we covered. Yeah. I even mean, less than you... Maybe not you've got mail, but different. I get where you're... I mean, I guess 
slips in Seattle, they don't meet at all till the end. So, I mean, yeah. um, but like, I mean, I get that comparison, but I would argue this shows the passage of time. So we understand it. <laughs> um, and I just, I think when I say it's like realistic and okay, Casino Royale, you know, it's, it's, not a fantasy film, but it's more of a, like, these two are getting together because of action and, and, like, dramatic things that don't happen to the regular person, right? They're waiting for his balls to heal. Basically. Whereas this is more of a, like, again, you're the wrong person to say to this because you're not a romantic, but, like, people can meet people and fall for people in certain situations, which doesn't seem natural. And I think it just, it does that in a way where, you, you know, and this isn't also, like, that cliche that you'll go to when it comes to a, boy meets girl who maybe is not right for her type film. Again, The Notebook, it's usually, ah, rough guy Mm. from the wrong side of the tracks. He's gruff and, like, you know, he's a mechanic or something like that. And the girl's like, oh, proper hoity-toity, like, oh, la, la, la. Oh, my parents will never commit to this Titanic. You know, things like that. This is more Mm. of a, there's nothing wrong with William Thackeray, just runs a bookstore. He's got a bunch of friends in a part of London. He's just a normal guy. When you mentioned about Julia Roberts being relatable, to me, that's something that, it takes a while for that to click because mm. you're a hundred percent sympathetic with Hugh Grant throughout this movie to the point where I was almost getting angry as it was getting closer and closer to the end. I'm like, just at any point, is he going to hold her accountable for being like complete dick to him for this entire movie? Like she's terrible to him, but yet you don't fault her. Like, I think that's where the relatable part comes in. That's where Richard Curtis is really good at writing because he, he allows you to see both sides of the story. Even if there is, if there's a bad one in this relationship, she's the bad one. But she's a bad one you understand. She's a bad one where she understands it, you know? And I think that's a perfect way of putting it because, yeah, there are parts of this movie where she does treat him terribly, but it's never on a level of, like, irredeemable because they, yeah, they they explain her and they humanize They barely know it. each other too. I think it's that, I think it's that the dinner table scene when, you know, they try and fight for the mm-hmm. brownie. That's the the bit where you get along because I think it's kind of just an interpretation as an audience. We're going like, oh, she's a Hollywood star. What's she got to complain about? She's rich, she's famous, yeah. she's beautiful. But then they start to really like humanize her, which I think kind of makes it just almost normalize her. And even when she's like being a dick to him, like on the, we're getting well ahead of ourselves. But yeah, I agree with you. And I think that, this is one I'll say right now. I think I said it at the very beginning of this month. I mean, you kind of see them together forever at the end of the movie. This is one I can see them being together. I mean, having said that, it is a Hollywood star. Like, I mean, the track record doesn't really bode well. Yeah. And I never know the story with Richard Curtis's friend if they're still together. But um, it's still one that I see them being together longer than any of the two Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan movies we did. It, you know, that that's one of the things that uh, I was thinking about because a, well, we'll get to it when we get to the end. The ending is a bit of a cheat for this movie. And I, I don't know if I love the bookend of this movie. I feel like I would have rather it just ended, but we'll get to that when it, when time comes to it. But uh, the biggest difference, I think, between Pretty Woman, Notting Hill, and then Sleepless in Seattle, You've Got Mail. Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail, as, as we kind of pointed out, those are movies about these couples deciding to give it a go Mm. the movies are never about hey we're perfect for each other we're going to be together forever i mean even you've got mail that that second last scene where he's just basically saying hey if i hadn't put you out of business eh, you think maybe and the ending is basically saying yeah sure you know it's those movies aren't meant to be oh yeah this is going to be uh us together until we're 90 years old with 16 kids whereas with pretty woman in uh, notting hill you would argue there's probably there's less of a reason to believe that these characters are ready to settle down with anybody, but yet 
they do a good enough job of developing a connection where you buy it more. And, and it's, it's not to say we're kind of making these judgments like, oh, Sleepless in Seattle, you've got mail. They're not, we're not saying they're definitely broken up in six months, although mm. I think it's Sleepless in Seattle, they probably are. But, uh, but I think it's a, a lot more likely that those couples are a temporary thing and not going to last forever as opposed to the other two, which might go, even even if they go 10 years, they're going a little bit longer. And we are wrong on these things. Look at Jamie and Colin. Nobody thought they would have lasted and, you know, there they yeah, are. There so you go. It's, it'd be, you know, sometimes, I know I know people <laughs> who, like, I remember one friend back in Tassie, like, when they got together, I'm like, really? Well, you're not going to last. And here we are, like, nearly 20 years later. They've got kids and married and... Here I am sitting as somebody who couldn't even stay married for 80 days. So, I mean, you know, like, and, what, and, what am I to talk? <laughs> and I think it was three years ago we were talking about Noah getting a date, still waiting for it to happen. I mean, we, exactly. we believed in you three years ago, Noah. What's going on? Exactly. Exactly. But happy birthday. Happy birthday, Noah. Good job. I'm going to get you some Shrek Crocs, um, <laughs> which are a thing. <laughs> Can we actually, like, buy him a pair of those? Let's do it. That'll, that'll be a makeup for his birthday. Um, you talk about like the ending of this movie, not really. The, the one thing I kind of think it, I mean, I don't say it cheapens it, but I, I always forget how this movie starts. You know, when you like a movie and you're like, you, you know it back to front. For some weird reason, yeah. I was like, how does Notting Hill start? Um, and then it's just kind of like this like montage of just like clips of, I'm assuming it's meant to be Julia Roberts, just, and they're just superimposed. It's kind of like on, um, everything everywhere all at once when that alternate universe, they just oh, show yeah. Michelle Yeoh, like just on premieres. And then kind of you just got this like sort of narration from Hugh Grant going like, of course I knew who she was, but you know, I never knew she would enter my life. Like, I don't know, mm-hmm. it, like seems, that's a bit cheap to me, but um, still it's, you know, setting the film up. Uh, I do kind of like his little narration over just Notting Hill. And, and from what I read, pretty much all of this was filmed in Notting Hill. Um, they wanted to use sets, but they couldn't quite get it. So, but the, apparently the area was very, very cooperative. They were sort of worried that they were going to be stalked by people wanting to see Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts, but um, they had pretty much cooperative. And a lot of all the London stuff too, they didn't even close streets. They kind of just had to like have certain times where they could film and do this <laughs> and do that. The stuff in the hotels was all done at like in real hotels at like two in the morning and just very clever how they sort of worked around filming this. But I'm gonna I'm going to London next year, and I, I if I had the time, I'd like to go to Notting Hill because apparently this place with the blue door exists. Um, they auctioned the original blue door off for charity, but then they redid it, and I believe I don't know if it still is. It actually is Richard Curtis's house, which because apparently <laughs> they make this look like it's like an apartment building, but it's actually like a, a large house, and they just kind of redesigned it to look like an apartment building from the outside, and then all the stuff on the inside was done on a set. So clever way they did that, but. Go, go uh, I'm just looking at famous residents of Notting Hill. Damon Alburn from Blur. George Orwell, who wrote 1984. Um, uh, Tom Hollander. I don't know if you know him. He's a British actor. Uh, Pirates of the Spider-Man. Caribbean, I think, was one of the things he did. <laughs> Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> yes. Take the er off his name. <laughs> uh, but Peter Gabriel from Notting Hill. Oh, good, good place. There you go. And uh, I, I love this. Mark Knopfler from... Dire Straits hey. has a side project called Notting Hillbillies. <laughs> I got to listen to the Notting Hillbillies. Is, is that does that come off like the fact that Weird Al did Money for Nothing? They called it Beverly Hillbillies. Oh yeah, like, is that kind of the <laughs> connection <gotta> <laughs> there? Great song, Money for Nothing. Um, so kind of we just get introduced to the neighborhood. I kind of like sort of um, Hugh Grant, Will Sacker. We'll call him Hugh Grant. Sort of going over about like oh, including the guy who got the tattoo who didn't know who James was or whatever it is, and everyone you come. And- when whenever you I love Ken. <laughs> whenever you come out of the hairdresser and you always look like what does he say, like a Muppet or something like that? Or 
Uh, you always uh, Cookie Monster. Cookie Monster. Oh, close it's yeah. a Muppet. Um, and then like the and and uh, selling a range of antiques, some genuine, some not so much. And you see Beavis and Butthead like stained <laughs> uh, glass, which is quite funny. Uh, and then we find out that his wife left him for somebody slightly resembling Harrison Ford. <laughs> I love that line. Has Hugh Grant and Harrison Ford ever done a movie together? Um, did Liz Hurley leave oh, him check. for Harrison? F- I know he was sleeping with prostitutes back then, and that's why Liz Hurley left him. But um, <laughs> which I actually I found it really funny in that that video that like long interview where kind of Hugh Grant's basically saying like everybody always assumes I'm like how I am in Notting Hill or Four Weddings and a Funeral. This kind of like bumbling British guy. It's like I'm actually more like my character in Bridget Jones's Diary. So what, like a sleazy guy who's like coming on to like, like his workers, which you know uh, kind of makes sense. I think it was on the Oscars this past year where they had Andy McDowell and Hugh Grant reunite to present an award, mm-hmm. and he he basically explained it's like oh some of us have aged gracefully, and he points to Andy McDowell and he goes, and some of us have aged to look like a scrotum. <laughs> <laughs> The thing that I really respect about Hugh Grant, though, and he talks a lot about in this interview, is the fact that, like, you know, he hated acting. He kind of got into acting by mistake. And then sort of he got stuck into all these roles where essentially every time he got a movie, he was like, I don't want to be this bumbling British guy that everybody expects me to. Mm. So every director would be like, no, 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 it's not this, it's not this. And he's like, literally every movie I would end up being the same because that's (laughs) just what I got into. And he's like, the reason why he does like Cloud Atlas and kind of all these other ones is because he likes these movies where he has no idea what he's doing and wants to challenge himself. When we're literally about to see him as an Oompa Loompa, which kind of maybe makes it half okay wanting to see that movie. But I also see here that he's got an upcoming movie coming out where he's doing the Pop-Tart story. It's called Unfrosted. I think we, I feel we talked about this when we did about oh, yeah. a boy. So, okay, so this is going to be like the the founder, like Michael Keaton, the founder. It, it's it's about the making of Pop Tarts. This isn't like Pop Tarts, the motion picture, like, like Barbie. Barbie. Yeah, but like it's got yeah. a pretty decent cast: Jerry Seinfeld, Melissa McCarthy, Amy Schumer's in it, James Marsden. Clearly, he's going to be left for a Pop Tart. Uh, Peter Dinklage is in it. Uh, so yeah, seems all right. Put that on the radar for next year. Um. But we uh, we get him into his house, and for the first time, we meet Spike Reese Ivins, who is he the star of the movie? Yeah, oh, a hundred percent. Like, I, he, it's it's obvious why within like a year of this movie ca- coming out, everybody started snatching him up. Because I don't know, did he do anything major prior to this? I think he might have just been in a few TV bits here and there. I don't know if he was a stand-up comedian, but um. Because, yeah, what, uh, The Replacements was a year after this. This is why I remember when I saw mm. him in The Amazing Spider-Man. I think we talked about when we did it. It took me about half the movie to realize that this was Reese Ifans. Because I'm like, this is <laughs> not the guy from Notting Hill and The Replacements. He did, um, didn't he do that movie with the balloons, that, like an Australian movie? Yeah, Danny Deckchair. I knew that was him. Um, oh, I vaguely remember that one, yeah. Yeah, like I remember that was a big deal when he came out to Australia and do that. Because they were like, that guy from Notting Hill is starring in a movie. Um, he was in Hannibal Rising? Like, okay. Um, so obviously he like he sort of moved a little bit into a bit of drama. But um, yeah, this is uh, before this he had done uh, You're Dead, Heart, Dancing at Laganasa, Twin Town, and August, and a bunch of TV shows. So um, nothing really huge. He was in a... This is like overnight success then from this movie. He was in a film clip for a song called Mulder and Scully by Welsh alternate rock band Catatonia. Oh, Catatonia. Yeah, I know mm, that song. Cool. I need to look that one up. Um, But we meet him. Here's Spike. He's uh, Hugh Grant's housemate. 
And he's getting ready for a date. The house is a bomb. This is why I don't want to have like strangers as housemates because I just could not handle this. Uh, and he's all like, oh, I'm going on a date. I need your help. I've got some T-shirts here. Uh, and this is always one that my dad will just randomly like quote. And there's another line in this movie which my dad will quote, which is kind of awkward coming from your father, but it's still funny. So he comes down and he's got a T-shirt. I love blood with like a knife or something in the middle of it. And he's kind of like, hey, what do you think? Actually, no, it's the alien creature coming from his chest, isn't it? That's what yeah. it's meant to be. And I love Hugh Grant is thinking, Hugh Grant, well, I don't know if that will quite portray the thing of romance. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. I'll get another option. He comes back down with the T-shirt. I want one of these T-shirts. Get it here with an arrow pointing at his penis. <laughs> that implies he wants them to do things with his penis, Colin. I'm sure he didn't get that joke. Uh, to which Hugh Grant's like, oh, again, not really sure that portrayal's message for romance. Oh. If you want romance and I'll go get my t-shirt <laughs> comes down with a t-shirt <laughs> you're the most beautiful woman in the world with like love hearts on it and Hugh Grant's like yeah like that's that's really good so he turns around and says right and then the back of the t-shirt says fancy a fuck uh <laughs> to which I think that's what Noah wears on his uh dates uh there but uh for the second week in a row we're in a bookstore we've got the travel bookstore and he's uh lovely little um Shop assistant. I love his shop assistant. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he's very, very funny. Um, and so he wants to go get a cappuccino for them both. They're not making money. So while he goes to get a cappuccino, who walks in? Julia Roberts, a.k.a. Anna Scott. Anna Scott! Uh, <laughs> browsing. And I just, like, it's so Hugh Grant, which just makes this so charming. So she's walked in. She's all kind of being incognito. And Hugh Grant's basically just going on about, like, Oh, I need a hand. And she's like, oh, no, I'm just happy browsing. It's like, oh, I wouldn't buy that book if I was you. It's quite rubbish. Uh, Here's a great book about Turkey. I believe the author of this book has actually been to Turkey. Uh, And there's quite an amusing story about a kebab. Uh, (laughs) 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 Apparently, it's a real book, too. If you read the trivia, this is like a real book. But I just love it going on about like, there's an amusing story about a kebab. (laughs) I want to know what the story is about the kebab. Um, So when he's going on about this, he sees in the corner of his eyes somebody's stealing a book. And again, this is another one of these cameos, which I, I don't think you're overly familiar with this guy. I mentioned it last week. If you're ever familiar with a British comedy called Black Books, um, which I think was a few years after this film. Uh, so this is Dylan Moran, who is very, very funny man. Black Books is hilarious. I highly recommend it. Um, and he does a lot of stand-up comedy. He like He's come to Hobart a lot of times. I've never been able to see him live. But um, he's very, very funny. Black Books started the year after this. So the other guy, the two main people in Black Books aside him was Bill Bailey, who uh, I've uh, interviewed, does stand-up. He's gone on to other things. And Tamsin Gregg, who was one of the main women in Episodes, that Matt LeBlanc show, which I've told you about watching, which is a great show. And she's, you'd know her. I think she was in a lot of British comedies around that period as well. But basically he runs a bookstore in England and he's a real asshole. It's hilarious. But anyway, Dylan Moran is stealing a book. <laughs> and I just love Hugh Grant just basically being like, uh, bad news, I'm afraid. We've got some cameras. So I uh, saw you steal that book. And it's like, I, I didn't steal a book. So yes, there's a book down your trousers. I don't have a book down my trousers. So all right, well, I'll call the police and we'll uh, obviously, I'm sorry if you don't have a book down your trousers, but uh, we will uh, get to the bottom. So say I did have a book down my trousers. <laughs> what can we do about this? And like, okay, well, you can either... Get the book, remove it from your trousers, wipe it off and put it on the shelf or buy the book. Uh, I'll see you at the counter. (laughs) (laughs) So good. And then to make it even better, he comes up to Julie Roberts and asks for an autograph. 
<laughs> and it's like, uh, what's your name? Was his name Rufus or something like that? Um, and it's like, oh, what does it say? It's like, dear Rufus, you belong in jail. And it's gone. <laughs> Which, let's be honest, that would be worth a lot of money. Like, he'd be like on social media in 15 yeah. years' time. Going like, I've got Julia Roberts signing an autograph saying, you belong in jail. Um, and then I love how he's kind of like, oh, can I get your number? <laughs> She's just like, tempting, but no. <laughs> uh, and he just sort of leaves. Can I just say her sunglasses are hideous? Uh, they are very Tom Cruise uh, Mission Impossible too. Um, <laughs> but I just do not like her sunglasses. And she's wearing a beret. What do we think of Julia Roberts wearing a beret, Colin? I prefer the sunglasses over the beret. Yeah, well, you know, that could be worse. It could be like lots of faces, sunglasses in no time to die. But I just like this is where the chemistry starts as well because like Julia Roberts straight away is just like, well, I was considering stealing this one now, but uh, uh, second <laughs> thoughts. And then I love when she's like going to buy the book and like obviously buying the shit one. And then he's just kind of like, oh, okay, well, you know, like who needs those stupid books without dumb stories about kebabs? It's like, um, and then she looks at this other book and she's like, oh, I see this book is signed. And he's like, yes, I couldn't stop him actually. If you find a book unsigned, it's worth a lot of money. <laughs> 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 Which they're just so funny. I love those things. I actually remember like when you do go to bookstores and you kind of obviously copy signed by the, autogra- the, the author. One of, when I was living in Canada, when Maria Sharapova had launched her book, I went into some bookstore and there was a signed copy by her and I didn't buy it. I should have bought it. I was like, sign Maria Sharapova book. Why wouldn't I buy it? But anyway, um, so nice little meeting between the pair of them and, you know, first meeting. Oh, okay. So then the uh, shopkeeper comes back and he sort of like half tells like, oh, you'll never believe who was in here. He's like, who was it? Was it someone famous? And he's just kind of like, oh, no, no. And then he tells his story. You know what? I once saw Ringo Starr once. <laughs> it's like, Really? Well, at least I think it was Ringo Starr. Could have been that guy from Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> like, well, actually, they look nothing alike. I was like, oh, well, he was quite far away, so it could not have been Ringo Starr. Well, no, maybe not. <laughs> I love this guy. He's so funny. Um, so they have their quite clear empty cup drinking. This is those tropes of just always having an empty. Oh, why yeah. can't they just put water in it? Like, I just don't understand why they do not do this in movies. Um, so he's like. Oh, do you want another one? Yes. Like, oh, let's go crazy. How about an orange juice? (laughs) Which uh, then this basically leads to Hugh Grant going with an orange juice. Now, fun fact, when he gets his orange juice, did you recognize this guy serving him the orange juice? I didn't, no. Okay, so this is... uh, Now, I've got to remember his actor... The um, actor's name is Omid Djalil... Now, this guy is in a James Bond film and is also in a quite prominent role in The Mummy. So if you look this guy up, you'll recognize him. He's in The World Is Not Enough. He's the one who is basically telling a lecture about the pipelines. It's not Vulcan from Gladiator. Um, And then also he's like, um, I can't remember his character's name in The Mummy, but he's quite a prominent role in The Mummy. Um, He's Warden Gad Hassan. You'd know him. Look him up. Um, So he's got an uncredited cameo as the guy who serves... Hugh Grant and orange juice. Uh, <laughs> so there's the world is not enough. Omid de Jalil. Jalili. I can't pronounce his name. Um, but Hugh Grant spills the orange juice on Julie Roberts. He's all like, oh, I'm so sorry. Come back to my place. It's right there. Um, and then she changes. And what, again, it's just the random Hugh Grant exchanges between people that just make this movie. It's like, would you like a tea? Which becomes a bit of an ongoing <laughs> joke. Like, no, uh, would you like a water? No, orange juice. And then <laughs> Julia Roberts just has this facial expression. 
And then just like this back and forth in the fridge. And it's like, would you like some apricots dipped in honey? Which I don't know why, because it just makes them taste like honey. And if you wanted honey, you would just have some honey. Uh, would you like a beverage? Uh, sugary soft drink, claiming to be something related to fruits of the forest. Uh, to which she kind of leaves. Uh, and then he, what does he say? Like, oh, surreal, but amazing. And then he's just like regretting saying that she comes back in. She's forgotten a bag. Um, Reese Ivins comes back in. <laughs> I apologize for him. There is no excuse for him whatsoever. That's literally how Colin and Noah introduce me whenever <laughs> I come into a room. Um, and she's about to leave. She kisses him. It's like, oh, how romantic. Uh, to which she's then like obsessed with, he's obsessed with her. And <laughs> this is, Reese Eifens before he starts going about wanting watching a video night. There's something wrong with this yogurt. <laughs> uh, that's not yogurt. It's mayonnaise. Oh, yep, yep. That explains it. And he keeps eating it. And then we just get these other quirks of Reese Eifens. He just like rocks down the stairs wearing like scuba, de- scuba gear. It's like, uh, question, why are you wearing that? Oh, so I, it's a combination of things. Uh, one, I didn't have any clean clothes. And it's all I could find when I was scrummaging through your room. And you grab like, you do realize in order for your clothes to be clean, you do actually need to clean them. Um, and then we've got this great rooftop scene where he's, we get this first kind of like teasing of the, the goggles, which are prescription. It's like, yeah. there's something wrong with your goggles. Oh, no, they're prescription. So I could see all the fishes. And this great exchange of, oh, so I took down a couple of messages for you. All right, was that all my messages? No, no, there were some. Like, okay, so you do understand that in order for this whole messaging thing, you need to take down all of them. It's like, all right, so just so I fully understand this whole messaging thing, you did have some other calls <laughs> during the week. Your mother called uh, something about her foot and that the pus is not going to go away. <laughs> oh, and speaking of weird calls, this American girl called the other day, said her name was Anna, but then gave a, a cartoon name. It was so weird. It's like, oh, what was that? Nope, completely gone. I can't remember it. <laughs> So we've got this great scene of like Hugh Grant ringing up like the Ritz Carlton going like, hello, sir. Like, um, you know, uh, yes, I believe there's a message. Uh, Anna Scott. Nope. No one here called Anna Scott. Uh, well, you got to understand that they gave another name. And if you imagine the most stupidest man alive, are, are you imagining them? And he's like, yes, sir. I believe I am. I love the desk clerk guy. And he's just basically going on like, you know, oh, this person, try Flintstone. Uh, you wouldn't have a Flintstone staying there, would you? I'll put you right to, sir. <laughs> Put you right through, sir. Uh, so this sets him up. So he's going to go to the hotel. Um, I might. I, I know I'm going through a lot here, but I might just cap it at the end of this hotel scene with the press conference. <laughs> Again, one of my favorite scenes of this movie. So Hugh Grant shows up with some flowers, bumps into this other guy. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this is the same guy that we've talked about a lot, Julian Rune Tut who was Mr. Pim's in Tomb Raider. It is Mr. Pim's in Tomb Raider. And he's also... We just talked about him as something else. He was recently. in Rush. He was Bubbles. Yeah. Um, in Rush. So if people don't know what we're talking about, if you go back and watch the great Angelina Jolie, Lara Croft Tomb Raider featuring Daniel Craig, he's Mr. Pim's, like the beverage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's hanging out with you, Grant, Julia Roberts, Chris Hemsworth, Angelina Jolie, Daniel Craig. This guy's in everything. Um, but I love these kind of like sort of awkwardness when they're watching it, walking to the room and he's going up. They're both going to the same door and they're like, what the hell is going on here? And it turns out it's a press junket for Julia Roberts' latest movie, Helix, some space movie to which, what, what does um, this guy describe with? I thought it was a uh, space odyssey met with some fancy sounding film. 
I just want to say this is as a journalist, I'm like Hugh Grant. I just I'm this bad. So it's like, and you're you, winging what, it. What did you think? Same, same, same. It's like, oh, and uh, sorry, I didn't get your publication. Where are you from? Time out. <laughs> this is the famous <laughs> moment where Hugh Grant's looking around and he's like, "Horse and Hound." Magazine. <laughs> Which I do believe is a real magazine, by the way. Um, so he's kind of like, oh, like there seems to be some sort of mistake. I believe Anna's sort of expecting me. So she checks in. He gets let in. And, um, you know, he sort of apologizes. Like, look, I'm sorry I didn't call. My housemate didn't give me the message. Um, and then her publicist basically comes in and he's going to sit there <laughs> to like be in there with the uh, interview. <laughs> and this is how Ben Waterworth operates uh in interviews uh so he's got he's forced to do this most awkward interview with anna scott that's like oh love the film great um i was just wondering if you considered there to be more horses in this (laughs) film (laughs) i love the publicist's reaction well that would be hard considering the film was set in space (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, right, of course, yes, that does make it slightly difficult. So he leaves, the publicist leaves the room, they kind of have this back and forth, and she's just kind of like, oh, look, I just wanted to apologise about that kiss, I never really do that. And then kind of this is when the chemistry starts building up again because they kind of just like their eyes meet with each other and he's just kind of like, oh, you know, it was kind of like a dream. And she's like, oh, what would happen in the next dream? Well, you know, I would kiss her again. And then the publicist walks back in and is basically like, do you remember that Anna would like to talk about her next film as well? It's like, oh, of course. Uh, well, do you plan on having any horses in that film? Or hounds, for that matter? You know, our readers are both equally into both. Well, it's set in a submarine. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just kind of this back and forth, and then eventually the publicist leaves again, and he kind of like wants to ask her out on a date, but she's busy, so he's like, oh, okay, fuck. So he leaves the room, thinks it's all over with. Uh, the timeout journalist is all basically like, oh, how was she? Oh, yeah, she was great. Oh, took your flowers. D- took your grandma's flowers because <laughs> he had this awkward exchange explaining about bringing flowers for his dead, dying grandma. <laughs> and Hugh Grant's just like, oh, yeah, bitch. Uh, I mean, Hugh Grant does this like, <laughs> he sells this so well, doesn't he? This like awkward nature of oh, being yeah. put on the spot of just like selling. Like, even this exchange with uh, the timeout guy when she's, and he, like clearly he's seeing through this and just like, oh, yeah, which hospital is your dying grandmother in? Look, I'd rather not talking about it. Uh, just kind of way. and then even just like fumbling his way through the questions to which he then gets pulled aside into oh Mr. Thacker we've got some other uh, actors for you to talk about and he's like oh of course uh, so then he interviews uh, one of the actors now this guy is from somebody the first guy he talks to he's off something um, I uh-uh. di- didn't look him up if, if you um, trying to see Anna's co-star Samuel West There's- no, that's a different Well, there's guy. Clark Peters who plays Helix lead actor. I'm assuming that he's the lead actor. Yeah, okay, that's him. Is he the guy? No, he's not the House of Cards guy. He what? was in John... Oh, this guy was in John Wick. No, uh, I know him that. from John Wick. You haven't seen that. Um, he was in Whitney Houston biopic. Um, uh, oh, okay, I've never seen it, but he's one of the main guys in The Wire. I think that's like, it's weird. You know when you haven't even oh, seen yeah. the show, but you know what the main cast looks like? Yeah. Um, so that's maybe where I'm picturing him from because I knew he was in something. Um, as in Blue Bloods. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so what everybody knows him from. <laughs> yep, uh, for one episode. But anyway, so <laughs> I love this bit when he's kind of like, I sit down with this guy. Did you enjoy the film? Yes, <laughs> I did. Uh, it's like, did you enjoy making the film? Uh, yes, I did. Great. 
What was your favorite part of making the movie? Well, why didn't you tell me which part you liked and I'll tell you if I enjoyed making it. Course. I liked the bit in space. <laughs> Very much. It's so fucking funny. And then we get Misha Barton. Did you did you recognize little Misha Barton? I didn't. Uh, I'm just the only little twelve-year-old in this film. So I mean, <laughs> seriously, you didn't realize that was Misha Barton, or did you have to? Am I just telling you that right now? I mean, you mentioned it earlier on, but I think you'd mentioned it a week ago, and I forgot to look for her in it. Right. So the little girl here is Misha Barton. Uh, so which neighbors w- Misha Barton? Neighbors Misha Barton. Um, which I I don't know if we talked about. I, I read an interview with Misha Barton this week about her being in Neighbors, and then they sort of mentioned like, oh, are you going to be doing anything for the 20th anniversary of the OC? Um, and apparently there is a OC podcast at the moment. It's like a rewatch. Yeah, Rachel it. Bilson's doing it. And uh, Melinda Clark, who played um, mm. Julie Cooper in it. And apparently they mm. got her on an episode. So um, I, I that and the Will and Grace one, I really need to listen to. Um, but yeah, so this is, I think, a lot of people often... I think when she got cast in this film, uh, I think... Uh, cast in the OC, sorry. I think a lot of people were like, oh, Notting Hills, Misha Barton. Um, but she was also in um, The Sixth Sense, which was at 99 as well. Yeah, it was the same year as us. Yeah, so little uh, little Misha Barton here, which, you know, Hugh Grant with the whole conversation. Oh, was this your first film? No, it was my like 20 something. Oh, right. And um, was this, you know, what was your favorite experience working in your movies? Working with Leonardo, very like late 90s reference. <laughs> Oh, Da Vinci, uh, Da Vinci, DiCaprio. Oh, of course. <laughs> this is your favorite Italian director. <laughs> <laughs> but the other one here, here's a connection that no one on this planet except for Ben Waterworth will get. So we've got this other guy here who's basically like, oh, uh, did you uh, did you relate to your character? To which this guy is like, <laughs> no. And the interpreter is like, no. It's like, oh. Why not? So she translates back to him because I played a flesh-eating robot or killing robot or something <laughs> like that. But here's a connection no one will ever get. The uh, interpreter here. Did you recognize this interpreter? I did not. <laughs> this is running trend. Okay. So this interpreter is played by the esteemed Yolanda Vasquez, who uh, if you look at her filmography, she apparently was in Children of Men. Okay, cool. Um, she was in... The Other Boiling Girl, not the Natalie Portman movie, the TV movie. She was in Midsummer Murders. Great for her. She also played in the 1994 uh, blockbuster film, The Air Up There. She <laughs> played Kevin Bacon's love interest, Sister Susan. Uh, wow. <laughs> it's so sad that I recognize it. Every time I see Notting Hill, I'm like, hey, it's a sister woman. It's the, the I don't know, the vicar or whatever you call them, the sister uh, in The Air Up There. So the, next year is the 30th anniversary of the air up there, Colin. I know we're doing Jim Carrey anniversary month, but can we do five next year for the air up there? Come on. Oh, uh, We can just make it a Kevin Bacon month. Ah, yes. Can we? Oh, whoa. That was, <laughs> I think I've ever heard that noise come out of Ben. Is that what people hear during sex view? Well, I don't know. It's a few people ah. heard, few, very few people have heard that sound. Um, <laughs> but here, Ben Waterworth getting excited for Marissa Cooper from the OC. Um, the guy from The Wire that he's never watched and the sister <laughs> from <laughs> Kevin Bacon classic movie. <laughs> oh, so excited. Um, and then eventually uh, Anna Scott calls him back in and is like, oh, so that thing I've got tonight, it's not on anymore. 
Um, so I'm available to be your date. And this is just how nice Julia Roberts is and kind of humanize the character. She's like, yeah, I'll come as your date to your sister's birthday, uh, which is kind of nice. So anyway, that is literally uh, the first quarter of the movie. That's 34 minutes done. Uh, there you go. Uh, I, first of all, I just love the idea about Hugh Grant operating a travel bookstore, as in we just sell travel books. It's just one little weird quirk that it's like, the, a place like this actually 90s. exists. Yeah, I'd say so. I've been to travel bookstores. They're probably not much of a thing now with the internet. But, I mean, the biggest section in any bookstore is always the travel book section. Well, it's also hilarious. Like, this is the smallest bookstore you've ever seen, and he has CCTV inside his own bookstore. I mean, I don't think you have to do anything more than just angle your head, and you can see every inch of the store. But he's got a closed-circuit television camera set up in his bookstore to catch this guy putting it down his trousers. Um the uh the the other guy who was saying he saw Ringo Starr, uh, he mentions the guy from Fiddle on the Roof, to Paul. You know who to Paul is, right? I've heard the name before. We, well, we talked about him very recently on Double R Seven. Uh, he he made our top five. I think he made our top five uh, allies ranking. He played Columbo in. Uh, oh, right, okay, okay. There you go. Yeah, it looks nothing like Ringo Starr. Yeah, nothing like Ringo Starr. Yes, um, but uh, I mean Julia Roberts, like the way she's introduced. It's interesting that like you don't see any type of flirtation, really. You see her just being kind of standoffish in the bookstore. And it probably has more to do with the fact that he's not saying, oh, I'm a really big fan or whatever. Like he he almost he obviously recognizes her. But I think why she gives him a chance later on is because he's not going out of his way to say it. You know, like, oh, I'm a big fan of yours. Other people are kind of like, oh, I'm going to play it cool and say I'm a big fan of yours. So I think that's that's kind of important with uh, why she actually because at first I'm like, she's really rushing into this with this guy. Like, why is she making out with him? You know, for no reason whatsoever, but it's like, this might be the only time she's ever encountered a human being. Who's not identifying her as a celebrity or whatever. Uh, this, uh, character, I guess, uh, it, two, two different things remind me of one real life story of Julie Roberts here in Winnipeg a couple of years ago. Uh, so her, her husband's like a pretty successful cinematographer and he was, uh, uh, he was the cinematographer on a movie that was filming here. I think it was a Sean Penn movie called Flag Day that came out a couple of years ago. Not a bad movie, but uh, it was filming here. And I guess Julia Roberts and her kids were here in Winnipeg with him for three, four, five weeks, however long they filmed here. And uh, there was this big news story that uh, Julia Roberts had gone into this restaurant. It's a restaurant I actually used to eat breakfast at quite often called the Falafel Place. And this is like, a, it, it's a very busy restaurant. Like you go in there. On a Saturday, you're going to be lucky if you get a table within like two hours. That's like a Saturday morning, too. Uh, Julia Roberts went into this restaurant and the hostess or whatever basically said, oh, yeah, we got no room. You can try coming back in half an hour. And Julia Roberts sort of like stood there for a second. And was like, OK, and then just walked out and then came back when when she left. Everybody else like, you know, that was Julia Roberts, right? She was what? No. And then she's because she was wearing like a hat and sunglasses. So when she eventually did come back half an hour later, they still had a table. Julia Roberts, completely unpretentious, was just like, oh, yeah, do you have a table now? Right. She waited around. This is actually kind of close to uh, where I lived the first time that uh, uh, you came and stayed with me. Uh, she just killed time in that area with her kids, came back half an hour later, got a table. Now, at this point, everybody's recognizing her, though she's wearing a hat and sunglasses. Uh, so she's just eating politely and everything and then sent her kid up to pay the bill. But the kid didn't know how to tip. Yeah. So he had to go back and ask, what am I supposed to do for the tip? And she's like, <laughs> whispers it to him, gave like a $50 tip or whatever on like, I don't know, a $40 breakfast that her and her kids had and everything. Nobody in the restaurant said anything to her. Nobody acknowledged her. But apparently there was like this, this silence where <laughs> when she finally came and sat down, everybody's like, 
Everyone thought it's gone. Pretty woman walking down the street. Pretty woman. <laughs> but I mean that that it's just kind of a cool story that like she obviously is maybe I don't I don't know if there's another is there another actress alive as recognizable as Julie Roberts? I don't think there would be. Oh, uh, I mean in this day and age of like not like mega movie stars anymore, I mean she maybe um I don't know. There'd be a Nicole Kidman, maybe. Um, no, but you can't really recognize Nicole Kidman anymore. She doesn't have much left of a real face. I mean, Julia uh, Roberts doesn't really either. I mean, if you look at what she looks like now, she's definitely <laughs> continued the work. But yeah, I don't know. Like in, in terms of female ones, I'm just trying to think of like. I mean, Cameron Diaz at one point, but she kind of went into obscurity, yeah. I guess. Um, I, I mean, at least at the time that you know this movie came out. I mean, this was Julia Roberts' life. Mm. So I think, and I did read one Angela thing that like Jolie. she initially. Uh, yeah, I, I, Julia Roberts, you know, as far as recognizable, yeah. But I think Julia Roberts probably had a little bit more of that star mm. recognition, though. It's oh, not yeah. just I I know who she is. It's like everybody she, knows who she's the biggest prob- movie star in the world. And, I mean, you'd argue, is she the last? I'm not, I'm not just saying. Last female? female? Yeah, to yeah. like if you had a movie with that name on it, you know, like, I mean, yeah. no disrespect to, um, uh, why have I gone blank on her name? Um, Hunger Games. Um, oh, uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Thank you. Um, you know, she's a big name. She's getting the, you know, the $20 million checks. But I, I would argue that her name doesn't really sell. I mean, it could, mm-hmm. get me wrong. But Julia Roberts, to me, even Angelina Jolie at her peak, I don't think you'd put Angelina Jolie. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, because yeah. those were the first $20 million female paychecks was what Cameron Diaz and Charlie's Angels and then... Uh, Julia Roberts for I, I don't know if it was this movie or something else. Uh, she got fifteen this, but... million for this because that's a trivia fact when she mentions this in the dinner scene in just a moment. Oh, so they actually played on a real salary. <laughs> so the fifteen million dollar line that she drops in this was because <laughs> she was paid fifteen million dollars for this movie. Yeah, and and again, remember this is the first thing she signs on to after my best friend's wedding. Basically, was her comeback. Like her mm. career was not exactly that hot prior to my best friend's wedding. Uh, and then after this just exploded. The other thing that very similar to this, uh, oh, you were going to say something? I, I was just going to say, and uh, just jumping in, and there are conflicting reports about, like I've read two different stories about one that she got this script and said it, yes, straight away. Um, that, she, mm. you know, and there's another one saying that it took a little bit to water it down. But apparently Nicole Kidman was fighting to do this script. She wanted it. Yeah. But they apparently said something that, you didn't look the part or you, you looked like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't look like Nicole Kidman. <laughs> no, there was something, there was something kind of quite demeaning that they told her that I read here that it was like Nicole Kidman wanted it. Um, but she was told something that you can't play it. I don't know. I need to find that trivia bit. It was kind of like a bit like, damn, that's a bit mean. Well, I, have you ever seen the oceans movies? No. Oh, okay. So uh, this is going to be a, a slight spoiler, but... Uh, oh, I was sorry, the, sorry. She was told that... Nicole Kidman was told she wasn't talented enough. <laughs> That's... Yeah, I knew it was something mean. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> uh, but the, the Oceans movie, so after this and... Um, I was going to say this, no, this and Runaway Bride, Julia Roberts is in the Oceans movies, uh, the, the first one with uh, George Clooney. And then in the second one, she was pregnant at the time she filmed the second movie. Uh, but her character wasn't pregnant in the movie. But they they did something throughout the course of Ocean's Twelve. People keep mentioning. Has anybody ever you know noticed that Tess kind of looks like? And like, no, no, we never say that, right? And then at the end of the movie, they need to bring her in on this heist to to you know make the steal or whatever. It's like, listen, we have to bring her in, and I know what role she's going to play. And all of a sudden, you got somebody at like this museum be like, okay, okay, I understand. Yes, we'll be prepared. Julia Roberts is coming to visit us. <laughs> Julia Roberts played 
a character in Ocean's Eleven that looked exactly like Julia Roberts, who posed as Julia Roberts in <laughs> Ocean's Twelve, uh, where she had to put on a fake baby bump, which was actually her real baby bump. So really clever, like playing on the whole celebrity thing. But th- that's something that you don't really see. I mean, a celebrity playing on their celebrity, and she did it basically, you know, two movies over the course of five years. Um, I-, I could imagine that a lot of people probably wouldn't do it. If you're gonna compare playing a big movie star versus playing a big movie star in Notting Hill. I mean, this is kind of a sad role. I mean, this, if anything, this would be something that I could see her turning down because she's like, ah, uh, this strikes a bit of a nerve with me. Like, I kind of live this life. It, it's it's very different than just having fun with being a celebrity. Um, but uh, the the way that uh, when she bumps into the street, like, she's not just very dismissive. She, she even tells him what, like, hands off or whatever. <laughs> uh, keep your distance. Uh, with a stranger danger. She's getting very aggressive with him uh, when all he's trying to do is clean her up. But uh, you know that there's something where she's, I don't know, horny for this guy or whatever. When he says, you know, if you want, you can come back. My apartment's right over here. You know, I've got water and soap or whatever. And she comes back. Now, this is a giant orange juice stain. No water and soap is taking this out, uh, especially like what hand soap or whatever. I mean, you'd be lucky if you dry clean. Then this is coming out and, at this and point. The, but and the straight line? Did you get the little reference to? Uh, oh, to, the mother prostitute. Yeah, yeah. I will get you back on the street <laughs> in a non-sex way or prostitute way, like, <laughs> like homage to her most famous role. Yeah, because obviously she's not playing Julia Roberts in this movie, but they're still having fun, like you said, with the fifteen dollar, uh, fifteen dollar paycheck, the fifteen million dollar paycheck, and that prostitute line. Um, he he also says that uh, his his apartment is like what like a hundred yards this way. Like mm. I don't think in England they use yards. I mean I don't use them in Canada. Well, I I, I, the only thing I no they don't. But I mean I would argue that is a for the American audience and b because she said like yards. So then he's going to reply but, in yards. Like I, oh, I, I don't I deal know with American. No, did. she she yeah. says it first. She's like give it to me in yards. So like that's oh, okay. to me where because like I mean lived in America you deal with Americans and they're going to say to you like feet you know inches blah 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 and Fahrenheit. So you've got to. Mm. No disrespect to our loyal American listeners, but they often will not try and uh, bow down to what the rest of the world does. So you kind of have to uh, associate that with them. So I understand maybe why he's done that. No understanding of the metric system. Um, But uh, so the scene when in the apartment, she basically comes down like half dressed or whatever. Uh, Again, the first time I went, this is the only time I watched this movie, but when I was watching it through the first time, I wasn't picking up anything on like her wanting to get with Hugh Grant or anything like that. But I think when you watch the rest of the movie, you'll actually go back and watch this first scene differently. A, what I, what I pointed out about her, there's no reason for her to go back to use his soap and his water to get this stain out. And then B, there's no reason for her to come down dressed, you know, wearing half of what she was wearing before. And then there's even less reason for her to just randomly kiss this guy because that was this scene, right? Where mm-hmm. where she kissed, yeah. Like, when she comes just, back the second time, yeah. Oh, the second time, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it comes out of nowhere. And when I was first watching, like that just seems so random. But then you watch the rest of the movie and you kind of view these scenes differently and you realize like this, the whole point of her character is how private she is. So she's not even going to reveal like, oh, okay, maybe I can have sex with this guy right now in front of his dirty roommate, you know? Uh, she's just simply not going to say something like that. Uh, but the awkwardness of both of them, like her just being dead silent. This movie makes the awkwardness funnier because we could quote the lines and it sounds like you're reading a comedy script, but it's somehow funny. It's very Ricky Gervais, like the way that Hugh Grant and Julie Roberts play this, where you're waiting for the awkwardness to just get more awkward instead of it just being a funny line. Like where he, he says uh, about the, uh, the surreal it's surreal, but nice. 
And then later when she comes back and is like, I apologize for the surreal, but nice. That was a low point. And she goes, I think the apricot yeah. <laughs> was the low point. Uh, but yeah. And then when he's at the, uh, the, the, the conference here, um, uh, or what do you call it? Media junket, whatever you would call it. Uh, Film, yeah, him coming in with day. Yeah. Yeah. When he comes in with the flowers and then he realizes this other guy's there. Oh, are you going in here? Like the way that he just plays silences is so brilliant in this movie. I might go as far as say, if I'm going to pick like what are the best Hugh Grant performances about a boy's number one, this might be number two. Like this is some near Oscar or the acting from Hugh Grant, his bad interviewing horse and hound. Um, <laughs> I looked it up. Horse and hound is the oldest horse magazine in all of England. It's existed in I, 1884. I, 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 I'm pretty sure. Like, I, I swear we'll get it in Australia because I have seen it. And it's just, it's literally <laughs> one of these magazines that I see every time and I just laugh. I'm just like, ah, horse and hound. If I ever see it, I will pick up a copy. <laughs> I, I wonder if you could do that uh, to, to send it off to Hugh Grant to get him to autograph Horse and Hound. Like I'm sure somebody's done that before. Uh, but yeah, like this interview is so so hilariously bad. Like it's meant to be bad. Again, the long pauses where he's like, "Did you enjoy making the film?" And then even the other people, it's like, "Yes, I did." <laughs> uh, and then having that guy who interjects, like, <clears throat> it just makes it better. Uh, uh, the, yeah, the psychopathic flesh-eating robot was great. Uh, what else do we have here? Um, did, now, does she refer to herself as Mrs. Bambi, or he says, "Oh, I could have had you on a day where you picked Mrs. Bambi as your no, name." No, he she says it because she's like, "Oh, I always use a um a cartoon, cartoon name. name." Last week it was Mrs. Bambi. Yeah, which is a oh, thing. Okay, like, yeah. I, I know Britney Spears used to do that. She said in an interview that yeah. she used to, and like other celebrities would do it. Yeah, almost all celebrities, I assume, are going to use fake names when they're at the hotels. Um, so you're not talking about the dinner scene yet, right? No, that's I kept it just before the dinner scene. Okay, yeah, because the dinner scene, uh, there's there's an actor in here I'm very excited to talk about, although this is probably going to be one where you, you have no idea who they are. Ah, well, there's a few here that are, I, I think, I mean, definitely Emma Chambers is the one I know the most. Um, and the woman, the other woman is definitely familiar. Uh, I think I looked her up once and I know what she was. That is the biggest fucking water bottle I have ever seen, Colin. Here. This is a four-liter water Jesus bottle. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Colin's drinking out of a bucket. He's a horse. Um, <laughs> but I love this. Again, the, the, the beauty of this film is there's so many of these scenes. You can say, oh, it's my favorite scene. It's my favorite scene. They're just so good. Um, so this is the dinner scene where it's uh, his sister's, uh, Hugh Grant's sister who's played by Emma Chambers, who, of course, was in The Vicar of Dibley, sadly no longer with us. Um, so it's her birthday, which I'm trying to work out the dynamics of this group of friends. So from what I can gather, yeah, Emma Chambers is Hugh Grant's sister. Uh, Hugh Grant's best friend is the guy who's married to the woman in the wheelchair, but they used to date because we're going to find mm -hmm. out that later on. And then the stockbroker guy is just a friend. Uh, I'm guessing that's just how I imply this. Um, yeah. but I love this kind of like group of people that they've got. Like we talked about this and you've got mail last week. They each had their group of people. It kind of, it kind of worked. And this is really like, I mean, sleepers in Seattle, I guess you had Rosie O'Donnell and the sun, um, mm -hmm. pretty woman. You had Jason Alexander and the other woman that you hated. The that, roommate. Yeah. That was kind of it. But this is kind of like, you know, we've kind of got these group dynamics and this is kind of one. We've just got one big sort of group. I, for some reason, part of me always gets a little bit confused with this and Bridget Jones's diary because there's the, um, the woman who was in um, Absolutely Fabulous, Jennifer Saunders. 
Not Jennifer Saunders, the mm. other one. Oh, it was Jennifer Saunders. She's like Bridget Jones's best friend. And she's the one who swears yeah. all the time. And she's the one who's like, come the fuck on, Bridget. Which is like a line that we used to always say to our friends when we were like getting ready to go out somewhere. Come the fuck on, Bridget. Uh, so I always think that this is this movie in the car chase at the end, but completely different movie. But I mean, great scene when um, they realize that this is Anna Scott, the, the lady. She's just kind of like, oh, hello, Anna. Uh, you, everyone told you, you little striking resemblance of, hello, this is Anna. Oh, all right. <laughs> the husband's just kind of like, hello, Anna, Scott. <laughs> 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 then Emma Chambers walks in and like, oh, holy fuck. Uh, and she realized, she's kind of playing the same character she is in The Vicar of Dibley, just maybe with a bit just more. Just a less innocent version, the same character. Yeah, yeah. And she's just basically like, I always thought that we could be best friends. And I just, I think that we've got a connection with each other. <laughs> Lucky me. Uh, <laughs> and then the stockbroker guy is maybe the funniest guy because he sort of comes, he doesn't recognize her. And then they're having this conversation before dinner. So like, oh, so what do you do, Anna? Oh, I'm an actress. Oh, marvelous, marvelous. I've got a friend. He does stage work. Terrible pay, though, I believe. <laughs> Terrible conditions. Uh, what sort of acting do you do? Oh, I'm in film. Oh, marvellous. What did you get paid for your last picture? $15 million. Oh, all right. <laughs> uh, which then, obviously, she realises that this is Anna Scott later on. Um, Emma Chambers walks into the toilet and basically sees a hoo-ha, essentially. Uh, she's, like, undoing her pants. <laughs> I love all their reactions. Like, Anna Scott! Like, who is this? And... I think there was another line from Richard Curtis, which he actually used um, Madonna as an example. I don't know if you read this quote on Wikipedia, where he basically said, like, I would sometimes wonder what it would be like if you went around to your friend's house and one of your friends brought a very famous person over as a date, just like it was normal, like Madonna or someone. Um, There you go for yours and Jamie's, like, anniversary, big redoing the vows. (laughs) Hi, Ron, this is uh, is Madonna, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ever told you you look like a wax figure. Um, that's what they would say. Um, Melting wax figure. <laughs> hey, uh, <laughs> I made the initial joke. Don't make it worse. Um, so they then have this uh, great conversation about how they're all like terrible and like they've got shit lives and I deserve the last brownie. I love the stockbroker guys. Like, I do a job that I'm terrible at. Everyone gets promoted. I have no idea what I'm doing. And they're basically like, yeah, but you make lots of money. It's like, all right, fair enough. Uh, and then the ladies are like, I'm in a wheelchair and we can't have a baby. And they're all like, hmm, that's pretty much like it's an emotional scene. You're like, holy fuck. But then the husband's like, yeah, but Will sucks. Uh, <laughs> his wife left him, runs a bankrupt bookstore. And they're all like, okay, fair enough. You get the brownie. To which then Julia Roberts kind of just has these like amazing scenes. She's like, what about me? It's like, well, you know, go on, give it a chance. And she's like, well, you know, I've had a string of terrible boyfriends, one of whom hit me. Um, you know, I'm going to, my looks will fade one day. They realize I can't act. And they'll ba- basically turn around and say that uh, I was once that person who looked like someone famous. Uh, and also, you know, if I get my heart broken, I'm in the tabloids. And everyone's kind of like, oh, fuck. Like, that's pretty heartbreaking. And they're like, nah, terrible way to hog the brownie. It's over <laughs> you, Will. Um, great little moment, too, when she's obviously a vegetarian and she kind of fakes that uh, she loves the guinea fowl. Um, yeah. We hear for the first time a bit of Ronan Keating, When You Say Nothing At All, the song I sent to you, which you said you hadn't heard of, which I discovered is actually a cover. That's not a Ronan Keating yeah. song. Um, so so c- confirm with me if this is right. Does Alison Krauss do the original version? Uh, I think it was a country singer, so that sounds about right. Um, no. Uh, I was like no, Alison Krauss did song. another cover of yeah, right. so Alison Krauss did another cover of this. So this is like a second cover. Because when this song was playing in the movie, Jamie is like, oh, this is that singer. What's her name? Alison Krauss. And I'm like, 
This does not sound like an Allison. She goes, no, but she did the same song. She kept mentioning this as an Allison Krauss song. The original, so she covered it, and then he covered it after that. Yeah, the original is by Ken Whitley uh, in 19... It's kind of like, um, I'm, again, you, I'm, you probably won't know it off by heart, but you'd know if you heard it. It's a song called Torn by Natalie Imbruglia. Um, oh, yeah, no. The song's very... It's still played on the radio here. So she's an Australian. She was in Neighbours, funnily mm-hmm. enough, and then she went on to be a singer. She was in the first Johnny English movie. Yeah. Um, so... Everyone assumed that was her song, but it wasn't. It was done by like mm-hmm. a Swedish pop band like three years prior. So it's kind of one of these songs, which, but like when you say nothing it's- about Ronan Kidding, it was huge in Australia. And like he was, there was these three British boy bands in the 90s that all had one main lead singer that went on to bigger things. So mm-hmm. he had, he was in Westlife, I believe. So he had Ronan Keating who came to Australia, did a bunch of solo stuff. I think he was a judge on like the X Factor or one of these shows. Then you had um, Brian McFadden who was in. The other one, Boy Zone, or maybe Ronan Keating was in Boy Zone and uh, he was in Westlife. Whatever, they're all the same. Uh, and he like dated Delta Goodrum, who we've talked about and off the podium before. And again, I think he was on like Australia's Got Talent, one of these things. He was okay, but the big, big one is Robbie Williams, who was uh, yeah. in Take That. Oh. And I'm going to see him and, and live but- in about two months. And he's doing a big stadium show here. I've never seen him live. Massive Carlton fan, by the way. Performed at our grand final last year and has been chilling Carlton's success at least at the time of recording this. So I always get those three confused, but Robbie Williams is the biggest of those three. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I looked it up here. So Ronan Keating was in Boy Zone. Boy Zone. Uh, Brian McFadden was in Westlife. Yeah. And then um, Robbie Williams. And Robbie Williams wasn't even like, he was like, I guess, intake that, the secondary guy. There was another guy, Gary Barlow, who was like the one they expected. Quite big. They expected him to be the big star. And he did okay, but like Robbie Williams dwarfs all of them. And which I like, because I know he did, wasn't that big in North America. Robbie Williams, kind of a fringe person there. But I mean, for a I, while he was pretty big. I remember the, I got a DVD. He did a concert uh, called Live at Nebworth, which I used to watch all the time. And I think he got about 300,000 people at that concert. Like it's just epic watching the amount of people there. But no, he's doing um, a stadium greatest hits tour here, which I'm seeing him in like, a month or two. Um, does he play a man for all seasons? I don't think he does. I looked at the oh. the list, which again, great. He should have done a Bond theme, Robbie Williams. Yeah. I um, mean, the closest he got was obviously man for all seasons. So Natalie and Brulia connection there as well. So, um, <laughs> I mean, let me entertain you made my top 100 songs of all time. Um, and that Jessica Simpson song, Angel was a cover of maybe Robbie Williams, most famous song, Angel. Yeah. So uh, that's not a Jessica Simpson song. Anyway, point is, you hear when you say nothing at all for the first time here, massive hit in Australia. Um, I love it when they leave and everybody like goes like, ah! and then like, <laughs> you went, they always do that when I leave the building. Hate it actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which that was in the trailer. If you ever watched the trailer. Um, so then we kind of get like this, like nice little moment. This is again, like this level of just like chemistry between these two. It's just so subtle. It's not like mm-hmm. passion. Like I want to rip your clothes off. It's not like Julia Roberts in, in Pretty Woman, where they, like there's so much silence between these two characters of just implied chemistry, which is what sells these two. Because you kind of got this moment where they're kind of like awkwardly walking down the street, and he's just kind of like, oh, so do you want to come back to my place? And she's just like too complicated. Like I don't know. Again, I discovered you had at least maybe one girlfriend before Jamie. I don't know. But anybody who's been on a date, and then there's always that after the dinner moment or drinks moment where you're kind of awkwardly walking. Kind of like, mm, what now? How well has this gone? Like, do 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 do. Come back to my place, or see ya. Never text you again. Um, often it's usually the latter for me. Um, but they're walking along. They discover this garden, have a nice little moment, and we get the whoopsie daisy, daisy, <laughs> which 
<laughs> my dad and I will always like joke about that if we do something and go, whoopsie daisies. It's like, no one has said that in at least 50 years and usually little 12-year-old girls with blonde hair ringlets. <laughs> Which, again, Julia Roberts just has this natural ability to make this feel like really good, like that laugh that mm-hmm. she has and everything and like she climbs into it. And But then it's it's just that, I don't know if this is what you thought it was going to be, like sappy romance. You kind of got like this moment where they discover mm-hmm. this chair and sort of like, oh, to Betty, you know, who always sat next to me for 50 years. And then she's kind of just like, oh, some people do find love together and then, you know, come sit with me. Like it's it's, it's sappy. I get it. But like it pulls at the heartstrings like, oh, and you got a bit of Ronan Keating in the background. Like, I don't know. I really like it. Um this sets up sort of like this day. like, And again, like a lot of this, it's implied that you kind of feel like a lot more passing of time has happened. But this whole next day is just a day. Like, because they've mm-hmm. obviously, he's going, dressing up, going to the movies, can't find his glasses. So he has to wear the goggles in the thing. And <laughs> Spike like finds the glasses sitting down, uh, which is really, really funny. I do like, I don't know. I'm guessing it's meant to be deliberate. But like whenever you see them in a cinema, like, do you ever notice like some of the reactions of some of the people watching the movie? So there's literally a guy asleep watching this movie. There's other people who are like talking and obviously bored. And there are other people who are like really into the movie. And I think you get that later on when you see Hugh Grant watching the movie by himself as well, which I just think is kind of funny. Um, we've got this dinner scene where, um, did you, have, did you get the show in Canada that was it, uh, keeping up with the Kumars or Kumars at 42nd street or something like that. It was like a British comedy about a bunch of like, uh, subcontinent family, like, um, Oh, keeping up with the Kuma, something Kumars. The um, the guy, one of the guys at the table here is one of the main guys from that show. So this is like a very early role, um, for him. Um, so that was Sanjeev Bashkar is his name, and the show was a Kumars at number forty two. Uh, it was like a sitcom show. It's quite funny. Um, but anyway, they're having they overhear this conversation. They're talking about like actresses they want to bang. And basically a bit of a dig at Meg Ryan there when like, who's that actress who uh, always has an orgasm every time she's taken out for a cup of coffee? And even Julia Roberts is like, Meg Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Which obviously I guess is a reference to um, when Harry met Sally. But um, they basically then start talking about her and basically saying that she's a bit of a easy lay. Uh, Hugh Grant gets up and stands up and is like, oh, that's, you know, stop talking about her like that. And they're just like, sod off, mate. Which... (laughs) Unfortunately, this is how some people talk sometimes and you do hear this. And apparently I read that this bit where Julia Roberts walks up to them and is basically like, hi guys, like, uh, you know, sorry for my friend. You guys obviously all have penises the size of um, peanuts. (laughs) Enjoy your meal. I I read that that was ad-libbed, that that wasn't in the script. So props to Julia Roberts there. Um, This was just out for dinner and they happen to have a camera there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Julia Roberts then invites him back up to their hotel room, but uh oh, Julia Roberts' boyfriend has shown up, and who's her boyfriend? Billy Baldwin. I'm Alex Baldwin. <laughs> um, did you know he was in this movie? I think you mentioned it last week. Yeah, which is just, it's literally a blink and you miss cameo. <laughs> Again, my opening line, one of my favorite bits in this movie. I forget how funny it is. So he's all like, "Oh, clean the table, do this, do that," and Julia Roberts is like, "No, you don't have to do that." And he's like, "Oh, sorry. What's your name, pal?" There's just this silence of. <laughs> Bernie. <laughs> it's just his delivery of Bernie. Like, just the way he does it is so funny. Um, so this is kind of like that first moment of Julia Roberts is maybe a bit of a dick. She's got a boyfriend, um, which again, I'm usually the one in the last few weeks going, they're cheating on their partners. So yes, she is. 
Um, but it's it's done in a manner where I don't know, like at least with you've got male and sleepless in Seattle, they're like Meg Ryan is with people with decent people. They're like with like in no way I think like here you are meant to hate Alec Ball. Like I know that like this is the excuse of cheating. Like you can tell she's not happy. He's a dick, all that kind of stuff. In no way is Alec Baldwin redeeming, except he's dashingly good looking. I mean, he's 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 really no worse than her, even at this point in the movie. No, I'm not like, defi- even without even without knowing that she's cheating. She's not saying or doing anything worse than, or he's not saying or doing anything worse than we've seen her say. Already. What I'm saying is they do this in more of like a sympathetic way. Whereas I think that like, yeah, I know Meg Ryan's a likable Meg Ryan, but like, I mean, if you really sit down and analyze both Slips and Seattle and you've got mouth, she's kind of a horrible person, um, which they kind of redeem at the end. Whereas this straight away, like, like you do not see Meg Ryan at any point in those movies feeling bad for her actions. You literally see her, oh, Greg he has gone onto the internet to cheat on him. Whereas here straight away, you see Julia Roberts, like guilty, regret, like all of that straight away. The, That's the, what I mean. The flip side of it though, is that when we're looking at Sleepless in Seattle, you've got mail. There's maybe emotional cheating. There's no physical cheating. Julia Roberts has emotionally and physically cheated on her boyfriend yeah. at this point, yeah, which yeah. is something that Meg Ryan didn't do. No, no, true, 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 true. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not defending cheating. You know, I'm the last person on the planet yeah. to do that. <laughs> but it's I, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, so Hugh Grant goes off, and we get is this um the what's the song here? They play some really good songs in this film. Um, how can you mend a broken heart? Oh yeah, uh, it was a BG song. I don't know what this version is though. And then there's also the um the one that I really like in this movie that I always forget is um is it Rufus Wainwright? She is the only one I know. Da, 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 da. Hmm. Is it is that Rufus? No, Elvis Costello. Wrong person. Um, often confused. Rufus Wainwright. And Elvis Costello. like uh, It's Al Green doing How Can You Mend a Broken Heart in this How one. How Can You Mend a Broken Heart? Uh, and the, the Ain't No Sunshine cover is by Lighthouse Family. There you go. I <laughs> uh, didn't realize that they did this one. And Shania Twain in the credits as well. I'm sure you picked that up with the Canadian connection. Uh, so he's off getting all sad. He's on the double-decker bus. And I love just this way they show how big she is because like she's on the back of a double-decker yeah. bus. He's watching a movie. So kind of this will come later on in the movie when he's just basically like... Yeah, I cannot avoid you. Like, I mean, I had my heart broken. And this is why I think in a way, like, again, against Casino Royale, we just needed Ava Green on billboards everywhere in Montenegro. But, like, how could he avoid this woman? Like, how could he avoid falling in love with this woman when she is the most famous person on the planet? Like, literally, you could not do that. Like, you know, you you love Rihanna. Let's hypothetically say you had a dalliance with Rihanna. Um, oh. What happened? <laughs> Calm down. Where, where do you go? <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden she's on like freaking, you know, muchmusic.com the next day. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yeah, anyway. So um, obviously he, I love it when he's, when you see more of this Helix film and it, it does look very Space Odyssey, doesn't she? Like it's very arty mm-hmm. and she's like moving around, um, to which obviously she won the Oscar for. Um, <laughs> I love, I love um, when Spike's trying to help him out. It's like, come on. Talk to Uncle Spiky. I can tell that somebody, something's wrong. And just like, oh, what's she this? is so good in this movie. <laughs> Give him an Oscar, seriously. But I just love the line when it's just like, oh, so they just go, I thought there was a woman. And it's like, and he's just like, oh, basically, it's kind of like I got into Pandora's box, which he's very me. Like, not doesn't care about another person, just starts talking about himself. Just basically like, <laughs> I once knew a girl in school called Pandora. Didn't let me get into a box, though, if you know what I mean. 
That's a reference to her vagina, Colin. Um, and maybe I'll um, I'll cap it there just before the next dinner scene. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, the first dinner scene's great. Uh, the the one that I was excited to talk about here is the I, I think you call him the stockbroker guy here, the one that's just friend. Uh, this is Hugh Bonneville, who uh, you're gonna laugh at me when I say this, but he is basically the main star of Downton Abbey. Oh God, uh, here but, we go. Uh, <laughs> but aside from it, like that show is like enormous. But uh, aside from the fact that he did what six seasons, five six seasons of Downton Abbey, two movies of Downton Abbey, um, he is in something that I think we've probably talked about on off the podium. But I don't know if either you or Jared have seen it. I've seen it out the the TV show 2012. That's like a comedy about the lead up to the London Olympics. Oh, do, do you know about this? That that was the British version of the games, was it not? I've seen clips. So I've talked about. Was that like a parody of like the organizing committee of yeah the, yeah yeah so that was um I've talked about it here before they did that in Australia in the lead up to Sydney a, a very famous show called The Games they did two seasons mm. that's the one where they joked about like so the hundred meter track it's actually ninety eight meters long it's like yeah the, the, the people won't notice and like yeah when people are running the hundred meters in like eight point one seconds I think people will notice um so that was like kind of the British version of that I've not oh, seen I, I it but I've the heard show. Of it. Yeah, I watched it a couple of years ago. It's it's hilarious. Uh, but they, you love the game. You show, need to watch the Australian one too. It's equally as funny. Well, the show 2012. It's equally as funny. I haven't seen 2012, but it's equally as funny. <laughs> but not we better, did not it worse first than in Australia. Right. <laughs> we did it first. Equal. <laughs> and it has the, the the main woman in it is um Kim from Kath and Kim. What's not to love? Gina Riley. She's an icon. Well, well, the, um, the show 2012 even spun off to a, another show called W. I think it was called W1A. It, it's basically. Hugh Bonneville playing the same character, but now he works at the BBC. So I, yeah, he, he's done a lot of great equally comedy. Equally as funny uh, as 2012. Equally as funny as 2012. Uh, but uh, the thing that, even outside of Downton Abbey or 2012 or Notting Hill, the thing that he's probably most famous for now is that he's basically the human star of the Paddington movies, uh, which is like that bizarre thing great. where Paddington, Paddington 2 is like the best reviewed film in history. And I know I've, I've, I've I've listened to several podcasts that cover movies where they'll talk about Paddington 2. They're like, mm. listen, we thought this was a joke. We watched the movie. I'm like, this is legitimately one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. So I'm like, I got to see Paddington. Show it to the kids now or something. But uh, Hugh so, Grant's in at least the first one, isn't he? Um, I don't I don't know if he's in the first one. Uh, I'm trying to remember because I know somebody was supposed to. Was it Ben Wishaw? Does no, the he's voice in Paddington 2. He's in the second to? one. He's in Paddington 2. Oh, okay. I knew he was in I, and I think Ben Wishaw does the voice. Um, or it was Ben Wishaw was supposed to do the voice and he was replaced by Colin Firth. I can't remember. I still haven't seen um, it. The voice is uh, Ben Wishaw. So, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Because I think it was originally Colin Firth and then he dropped out or something or they replaced him. Can we do him. it? Like, I, I've heard nothing but good things we about should. it. should. <laughs> because there's a third one coming up. 99% in Peru. on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Fucking hell. And, and like people who watch the movie say, this is not a joke. This is one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, but uh, uh, so Hugh Bonneville, this is the one that Jamie got most excited about, not just because she loves Downton Abbey as well, but uh, she had earlier commented in watching this movie. She goes, you know, I'm not saying Hugh Grant's not a handsome guy. He's very handsome, but very handsome, I don't man. get why. We, but, but Jamie said, I don't get why women love this guy he's so much. Charming. Like, he's charming. Well, that's and like, what I said. I'm like, charming. It's, it's the personality, gets him over right? the, like, like it's that it's that. Because it's, I think it's also that American, like Americans love, like the the Brits. They parried it in love, actually. Like mm. Americans love the British men, and you got these really frumpy, ugly looking dude, and all the Americans are throwing it at him. <laughs> yeah. In all seriousness, when I go to America, why do you think I like it so much in your part of the world? My accent <laughs> gives me at least three points on the attractiveness scale. Like they love it. You're the guy with Alicia Cuthbert in Love Actually. <laughs> I didn't tell you my night with Alicia Cuthbert in New York, but that's another story. <laughs> 
But uh, so so Jamie was like, okay, I don't really get the big deal with Hugh Grant. No, he's not bad looking, but I don't get why women love him so much. Hugh Bonneville comes on screen here. Now, I already told her, hey, this is the guy from Downton Abbey. And she goes, hmm. And I'm like, what, what, this guy? She goes, well, he's hot in Downton Abbey, but man, he is really hot here. Like she was in love with him. every second he was on screen. She was moaning, grunting, talking about that's a man who uh, that's a man who you won't break. Like because you know, I think we commented in a previous episode, she had an issue with some guy. She's like, I look like I could break him. <laughs> She's like, no, I'm not breaking Hugh Bonneville. So this was her favorite in the entire movie. Uh, but the crazy thing about him is that if if you look him up on Downton Abbey and you you see this movie here, those are the, ten years is what separates these two movies. The man looks like he ages 30 years in 10 years. I'm not, he, he looks very distinguished in Downton Abbey and everything else now, but like, man, he aged quickly. I, I would barely have recognized him if I didn't know that he was actually going to be in this. Uh, but most important thing, check out Downton Abbey. Second most important thing, check out 2012. Equally as good with uh, the, the the games of Sydney or whatever it was called. It's called The Games. Uh, the Games. Uh, yeah, so w- when she reveals herself as being a vegetarian, I, I think it was Emma Chambers who has the reaction, oh, God. <laughs> it was disgusting. What? No, it's the it's the, the other lady because she's. Oh she, yeah, the, the one in the wheelchair. Yeah. Look, you're in a uh, wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a line in the movie. I'm not laughing at the woman. It's just one of my favorite just random lines when he's going on the horrible dates in a moment. Oh, you're in a wheelchair. Yes, I am. Yeah, I I like this whole friend group thing. Like, uh, this is also something. Maybe it's a Richard Curtis thing because Bridget Jones did this. You already mentioned that, right? Yeah. Uh, the Richard Curtis friend group. It's not even just a, a rom-com thing. Um, the uh, So it, as great as this sequence is, you know, with, with her going and Julia Roberts in the bathroom and stuff like that, and the big screen when they leave, uh, the second part where they're climbing the fence, uh, I think the hardest I laughed this entire movie was where he's climbing the fence and then uh, he drops a line about saying, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I have a disease. It's a clinical thing. I'm taking injections. <laughs> <laughs> whoopsie daisy uh, yeah. <laughs> whoopsie daisy uh which uh, i never use whoopsie daisy but all i use is like you know this the simpsons um where uh, the hurricane ned episode right mm. two of my favorite quotes of the simpsons of all time are in that episode uh the one is uh where ned's finally losing it he's going around and saying what's wrong with everybody and all of a sudden he walks up to lenny with i don't know who you are but i'm sure you're a jerk <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But then the other one is where uh, the, the parents are like, we tried nothing. We're all out of ideas. Uh, Ned spilt the ink and he goes, whoopsie doodle. <laughs> like I use whoopsie doodle. I've never used whoopsie daisy, but I will use whoopsie is that, doodle. Is that when his parents are like, hips is like, hey man. Yeah. <laughs> We've tried nothing. We're all out of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we, we, I'm sure you're a jerk too. <laughs> and Lenny, hey, I just got here. What's going on? <laughs> You ugly, hate-filled man. Hey, I may be ugly and hate-filled, but... Wait, what was the third thing you said? <laughs> um, man, I want to watch that episode now. Uh, anyways, yeah, so the that whole sequence where they they jump the fence and everything and wander around, like, again, they don't have to say much in the movie. And I think that I, was, I, I wasn't looking for things to complain about this movie, but, like, even at this point in the movie, I'm like, I'm not buying this immediate connection between the two. But the more you get into the movie, the more you buy it, and the more you go back on these scenes. So like it's it, it's different because Sleep is in Seattle, these two people know nothing about each other. You've got mail, they know a lot about each other, but they only literally at the last scene of the movie came to the realization we don't hate each other. Um, in this movie, there's just a connection and it has nothing to do with getting to know each other. Like, cause mm. I, I, when we're even past the point where we're covering here, even much later where she leaves the second time, 
I was almost picking apart. I'm like, they literally don't know anything about each other. They have not had any conversations. It's mostly all these long stares and stuff like that, but it really works between them. And that is kind of the point of the movie. I mean, she's a celebrity. He's not, she can kind of just tell he's not wowed by the celebrity. And uh, what I think is interesting with him is that he does know who she is and she he is kind of taken aback, but yet he doesn't know who Leonardo DiCaprio is. And I think that just sort of goes to show how famous she's supposed to be in this movie. Because you could say with any celebrity, oh, they all have it tough with you know, the paparazzi and stuff like that. But this movie is supposed to be like with her, it is way beyond what any other celebrity encounters. And the, you know that because Hugh Grant knows who she is <laughs> mm. and he doesn't know who Leonardo DiCaprio is or anything. Um, he doesn't go to the movies. Apparently uh, I do question when he's wearing the goggles too, though. Like we never see him wear glasses through the rest of this movie. Yeah, we do. I don't know if we see him dr- when, when he's at the movies the next time he's wearing glasses. <laughs> okay. Does he only wear them for, for the movies? When he's sitting then? on Maybe the couch, when he's sitting on the couch, watching the movies, the reason he's wearing glasses. I, I, I don't wear, see as somebody who doesn't wear glasses. I don't know whether uh, that's something that, I know there are people. It's like you got prescribed for driving and reading, but I don't know yeah. if there ever been somebody prescribed no, for because we don't see him reading with glasses. Well, I think we do when he's reading the script. I think he's wearing them. You know, my mum was one like I wear mine all the time because I was sort of told to. But like the with my mum, she would only watch wear them when she was watching TV or like reading. Like it was one of yeah. those things. Yeah. Jamie is like completely blind without her glasses, like blind as a bat. I can um, see, it, but like, it's just like, like right now I can see it's just, yeah. Like the writing on this screen is blurred. Like when I wake up in the morning and I haven't worn them all night, I can like look at my phone for a little bit. Like I'm not blind. I often, yeah. if I go out on a date, I won't wear my glasses because I think I look better. I do look at me. Look how good I look without my glasses. Oh, but you look distinguished like Hugh Grant when you wear them. Thank you. But like, it's yeah. Anyway, sorry. Jamie's blind as a bat. Yes. She married yeah, you. Well, when Jamie watches TV, they- <laughs> <laughs> that was excellent. I'll give you that. Comedy goal from Ben Waterworth. Oh, good one, Ben. Oh, comedy goals from Ben Waterworth. Oh, thank you. But uh, it is funny because Jamie, um, if she ever doesn't have her glasses on uh, and she's looking at the TV, like let's say she's doing her makeup. She doesn't wear glasses when she's doing her makeup. She always looks at the TV. If she's ever looking at something without wearing her glasses, the mouth goes like gaping wide open, which was always the funniest thing in the world. I'm like, does that help? Because I've seen other people do that too. If they're trying to look at someone without glasses, just like, oh, like, like, I don't know if I have gawking. my mouth open. I think it's maybe just, it's maybe an involuntary reaction because other parts in your head are struggling. You're squinting and you're, yeah, like, <laughs> I don't know. Like one of those clowns funny... at the fun fair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's one of those funny visuals. But, uh, but no, it, it, it was really funny when he was wearing the goggles. And for a second, it took, I didn't immediately be like, why is he wearing that? Then I'm like, oh, that's right. They're prescription goggles or whatever. Um, yeah, what the dinner date thing that they have here, uh, it's not just her saying, Oh, you guys probably have, you know, penises the size of penis. And then she goes, Enjoy, enjoy your dinner. The tuna's really good, like all pleasant, and walks away. <laughs> yeah, she just kind of slips it um, in there. Your penis the size of penis. Enjoy yeah. the dinner. The tuna's great. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Alec Baldwin thing, like, I think that, yeah, I, I get where you're going with it because it bothers me less in this movie than. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan or Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan in the previous two movies. Cause they're both dating other people. Um, I, the differences with this is she's flat out committing infidelity in this yeah. movie. Uh, the worst we actually see of Alec Baldwin is like one comma who goes, Oh yeah. You know, she doesn't want to put on weight or whatever. Um, being realistic. He's probably told the same thing by his agent. So, I mean, uh, giving the benefit of the doubt to him there, that's the worst we hear from him. So, other than that, like she's talking about other boyfriends being bad. We just sort of get the impression later in the movie that this is like a relationship of convenience where, it, it, where I'm not saying that they are a couple 
who are put together by their publicists or whatever. But like she talks about, I ha- I didn't even know he was going to be there. I haven't talked to him in a couple weeks. You know, this could just be busy relationship. But like Alec Baldwin's charming no matter what. Even when he kills a man, he's still charming. Like he's and still got to love a man even if he kills somebody. There's also a bit of a like, are his friends a bit of a dick? Because like in the in this scene, which I'm about to get to, when, um, oh no, it was before this, when he's kind of talking to the friends, it's like, oh, did you know that she had a boyfriend? They all kind of know because obviously Hollywood gossip. They knew she had a boyfriend. Yeah. So when they he brought her over for dinner, shouldn't they be like, um, he's got a boy? Like if if I bring yeah. over um, Nicole Kidman for dinner, are you guys going to be like, <laughs> what about Keith Urban, Ben? She's yeah. married. Like, I mean, like, are you not going to be questioning that? I, I think Keith Urban may be the one guy you could actually take in a fight. So I, I, I wouldn't fear for you there. <laughs> but oh. uh, Natalie Portman's husband, he'd take you. Uh, well, not anymore. A, excuse me, hang on a minute. <laughs> he's taking back, somebody else. Back up, back up. I'm sorry. No, I would rather take Natalie Portman's ex-husband because he's a ballet dancer. At least Keith, yeah, Urban, that's, Keith Urban's country music. They're bashing people in bars and scared about uh, dogs and trucks. I don't know if Keith Urban's bashing. I'm sorry. A country music on, singer ballad. is tougher than a ballet dance. What are they going to do? The Kick me with their shoe? Isn't the whole point of that Black Swan movie to show like how incredibly brutal and athletic the ballet athletic, is? Yes, but tough. Yeah. Like, come oh, on. For sure. I mean, he just jump right over you and then just kick you in the balls. That's all he's got to do. I'll just dangle some hot chicken. Look, another woman. Sleep with her. I've got Natalie. <laughs> uh, complete sidebar here. Uh, we've got to drop Star Wars in every single episode here. Uh, Jamie, I, I, I have held off on showing Star Wars to uh, the kids because – for me, I, I remember you? seeing it the first. Well, I, I remember <laughs> seeing the movie for the first time. So I wanted them to be at an age where I didn't want this to be a thing where it's like they're two years old and they're watching Star Wars because they'll never remember seeing it, right? And I want them to be able to understand it and everything. But did you Jimmy maybe you could have me. got shown it two years old and you don't know because you don't remember it? Well, uh, I don't yeah. think we had a TV when I was two years old. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I do know that my I was conceived partly because of Star Wars. You can hear more about that <laughs> on the Empire Strikes Back episode. Find out Billy D. Williams is responsible for Colin being born. Uh, he's my real father. Uh, anyways, you tell me the resemblance. <laughs> but uh, Jamie convinced me, give it a try. See if Casper's into it. So I showed him the Lego Star Wars thing first. He got a kick out of R2-D2 and the Lego Star Wars. So I'm like, do you want to watch one of the movies now? He said, Yes. So I put on the Phantom Menace. Um, now he's on this big kick right now where he wants to know what everybody's favorite character is in anything. So he asks, who's your favorite on Sonic? I'm like, um, Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, daddy, who's your favorite on Paw Patrol? I'm like, um, Rocky. Uh, who's your favorite on Frozen? I don't know, Elsa, I remember the name. Uh, we get to uh, Star Wars and he's asking who uh, everybody's favorites are. So I'm like, oh, I like Luke Skywalker. And Jamie's like, I like Darth Vader. Now he doesn't know who these characters are watching The Phantom Menace. So he's pointing out R2-D2. He goes, that's Casper's favorite. <laughs> and then he's like, daddy, who's your favorite? And I'm like, well, we haven't seen my favorite yet. So then it gets to the scene where Queen Amidala first appears. And, and then you have like the Palpatine on the hologram or whatever. So he's watching the scene and he sees Queen Amidala and he points, he goes, mommy's favorite and jamie's like um <laughs> i guess she's okay stop that is why well but then you have the next shot where it's captain pinaka and he goes daddy's favorite i'm like <laughs> captain Pinaka's okay and then it shows like governor bibble you know the, the bearded yeah. guy the dust toll is kind of like, daddy's favorite i'm like yeah he's all right <laughs> wow does he ask about um, the um oz network Who's your favorite on the Oz Network? <laughs> uh, we all know it's Rocky. <laughs> yeah, always Rocky. 
Uh, but uh, yeah, that's just my little Star Wars thing there. I- I'd be curious to find out who Casper's favorite is in Notting Hill. Uh, <laughs> I- I'm sure it would be Emma Chambers. <laughs> She's the most cartoon-like. Bernie, yes. Uh, Emma Chambers literally is playing the exact same character. Because I mean, the only thing I'd ever seen her in was the Vicar of Dibley, mm. and it's like she's she's more like a child in Vicar of Dibley. She's mm. definitely not a she's child you. in this. She's she's me in the Vicar of Dibley. Innocent <laughs> doesn't get jokes and doesn't get sex. But uh, well, she got pregnant in that, so she got sex at one point. You also. Oh, where's my where's my? Thank you. You also got pregnant twice, so you also got sex at I two did. points. Personally, yes. <laughs> Jamie knocked me up. That's what happened. There's a massive dog. <laughs> um, yeah, but like the, the dinner scene's great. Um, Alec Baldwin. Yeah, this is what I was getting at. Alec Baldwin, like, I, I don't feel bad for him necessarily. I don't even necessarily feel bad for Julia Roberts. I just think that the reason I accept this more, maybe the reason you accept it more, is because even though the other couples and the other movies don't necessarily do anything like really wrong in comparison, um, you you get with Julie Roberts' character, she's a flawed character. And we were talking about this in You've Got Mail. One of the reasons that movie works when, when people complain that like Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are terrible people. And I'm like, yeah, but that's what makes them relatable. And I think that's probably the difference with Julie Roberts. That she immediately has that reaction in this scene where it's like, yeah, she knows that she screwed up. Uh, and she apologizes many times to him throughout the course of this movie and then continues to screw up. She's a flawed character and she owns it. And that makes her relatable. And I think that's why I kind of accept it. I wasn't accepting it when I saw this scene here. This scene here, I'm like, oh, how dare you? And for the rest of the movie, I kept even telling Jamie, like, I just want a Hugh Grant to like spit in her face or something. Like, just do, just get angry. Like, I just get a little bit of rage. I don't even, you don't even have to like spit in her face, but just to say you want to spit in her face, something. He's just way too nice in this movie. Um, and then that Pandora's box scene too. Uh, yeah, I did get that. But again, it's Hugh Grant's reaction when he says, uh, never got to see your box. So when he goes, right, thanks. That's uh, very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> and Reese Cyphers is like, yeah, no problem or whatever. Uh, so we, we haven't done the, uh, the, the blind dating yet, right? We're, we're about to get to that now. Um, okay, go for it. There's one thing I want to touch on, like, yeah, the connection thing, because I think this is where, going back to my point about Pretty Woman versus this, it's like, you know, there are those romantic feelings or dalliances or relationships where, you know, you meet someone and it's not initially like, oh, yeah, but like there's a bit of a spark and then it builds once you get to know them more. That's what Pretty Woman does really well. This is that type of love slash connection slash feelings where you can meet people and have that into thing. It's the love at first sight cliche. While it's not necessarily you fall in love with a person at first sight, it's more of a like straight away there's that feeling. Again, Colin, you might feel it one day once Jamie leaves you. I don't know. But it's it's for natural people like myself who have emotional feelings and connections to people, <laughs> sometimes too much in my case, it happens. So <laughs> I think that's what this movie does in portraying that very, very well. I also want to correct myself. Bridget Jones's diary, it's not Jennifer Saunders. It's Sally Phillips, who we talked about in Boytown. Yeah. Thank you, Ben. Because I, I was looking through the um, uh, IMDb here and it says Sally Phillips was in this movie, but her scene was deleted. Yeah. So apparently, um, and there's there's one in the trailer, but I've never seen, I, to be honest, I didn't look. They're probably all on YouTube, but apparently this film went for three hours uh, and they <laughs> cut about 90 minutes worth of, uh, well, this movie goes for two hours. So I don't know whether they're saying 90 minutes, but apparently there was like 90 minutes worth of deleted scenes. And there is actually in the trailer, obviously there was a scene with him at the dinner table with his parents because you do see his mother at the end in the wedding scene, and it's the same woman who's at the dinner table with him in the in the trailer. 
So obviously Sally Phillips was in this film, but they cut all her scenes. So I want to mm. correct myself. It wasn't Jennifer Saunders, Sally Phillips. She's the one who's like, oh, come the fuck on, Bridget, in Bridget Jones' Diary, and was um, in Boytown. She was the English one who's saying, come on down and ring my bell. Great move. When are we doing Boytown Redux? Um, she was also in Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, playing oh, Mrs. Bennett. Of course she was. That's where I recognize her. Almost equally as good as Boytown. Equally as funny as Boytown. <laughs> um, so this is kind of like the blind date scenario. So... Um, we we find out that this is where they know that she had a boyfriend. So um, he's obviously a little bit cut out. So this is when all of a sudden it's like, oh, I know Jenny in accounts. Um, have you like, okay, I know this is a dumb question to ask Colin Hilding, but I don't know how your dating life worked out before, Jamie. Were you ever set up on a blind date? Have you ever been set up on a blind date? No. Yeah, me neither. I mean, Tinder is the closest. I don't think I would do it either. I would. Only <laughs> <laughs> gets more desperate because uh, now <laughs> I would. You're listening. Um, well, look who's behind door number one. <laughs> but like, I always like. I've always wanted to do speed dating. Like, I don't think it's really a thing as it was like in the mid 2000s before Tinder and that became mm-hmm. a thing. But it it just seemed fun. It just seemed silly fun. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, there'd be something about a blind date that I would like and then probably not like. But. This is his whole setting up. So you got this first woman who's like Jenny in accounts and she's like, hello, you're in a wheelchair. So, all right, Willie, let's get sloshed. Ah! Like just, she is terrible. And the other one that I always remember from this is this fruitarian, which apparently is a thing. Um, this is a legitimate like type of diet, I guess you would call it. So she believes that um, you only eat food that has fallen from the tree naturally or has been picked from the ground because uh, otherwise... You know, these carrots have been murdered. Um, there's a real little subtle moment here, which I don't think, I don't know if you noticed, but they kind of, when she's like talking about, it, and clearly everyone's at this table is going like, oh, fuck, this woman's a Fruit Loop. This is going to be an awkward dinner. Mm. Um, they cut away from the table and you see the um, the husband and the, the lady in the wheelchair. I keep forgetting the character's name. Sorry for referring to her as a lady in the wheelchair. But they kind of like hold each other's hands almost as in a, like a, well, lucky we're in love. Um, you know, <laughs> we feel so sorry here for, for Hugh Grant. Um but then we kind of get this other one with this other woman who, bit of spark between old Hugh and this other woman. So uh, things may be looking good there. Who knows? Clearly Hugh's going to cheat on her with Julia Roberts shortly. Um, this is where we kind of have a nice little scene between him and the the couple. We find out obviously he dated the other woman because he's like, I've only been in love twice. Uh, one left me for Indiana Jones. Uh, what, what do you say? <laughs> one left me faster than you could say Indiana Jones and the other married my best friend. And then I kind of like this little back and forth. So she's kind of like, I did love you, Will, but honestly, you were terrible. Like, uh, <laughs> so clingy, so everything. It's, it's just the banter. It's a back and forth. You just believe these people yeah. are friends. It's like what we talked about way back in Twister. Like when you've got this really good chemistry between everybody and just because people who have friends, it must be nice. Tell me what it's like. But like, this is what it's like. You know, it's kind of just is what you do. Um, he stays the night. I kind of like this sweet little moment where you see him like lift her up and like take her to bed. Obviously, it's just... Even the love and romance in this movie of not the main characters is kind of sweet. Um, he, uh, Hugh, Hugh Grant goes home. I keep going to call him Hugh Jackman. Hugh Grant, uh, well, he's single now too, Hugh Jackman. There you go. Uh, he goes home. We kind of see this like newsstand with all the uh, headlines, obviously. Anna Scott did some nudie pics back in the day and they've all come to light. And she kind of like, she'll point out that the British press are terrible. Like they're the worst. She's like, it's kind of like the worst place for me to be right now because your tabloids are terrible. So she rocks up at Hugh Grant's house, basically, because she's got nowhere else to go. Tells a story. She obviously took some nudie pics. Someone filmed it back in the day. It's what people did. 
Um, I think there was, wasn't it um, Chris Pratt, I'm pretty sure, told a story about how he did something like this. Uh, he was like trying to become oh. an actor and he was like walking down Hollywood Boulevard and some guy was like, hey, you're attractive. Do you want to come back to my house and take some photos? Um, I don't know if he was on Jamie like- just overheard you, <laughs> even though I'm wearing headphones in the basement. <laughs> She's searching it right now. I, I don't know if this was like on um, Graham Norton or something like that. It's a funny story, but like you kind of listen to it now. I'm like, oh, um, <laughs> I think you were taken advantage of. Some guys like invite you back to his apartment and goes, you're slightly attractive. Can I take some photos of you? But I think like okay, Chris- for, for like a split second, I 100% thought you meant that Graham Norton is the one who took <laughs> pictures of Chris Pratt. Well, maybe. Uh, but I think Chris, I think Graham Norton would admit to that. Whereas I think like Chris Pratt alluded to like these photos have never surfaced and he doesn't know what happened to that guy. So um, anyway, so Anna Scott's going to hang out there for a little bit while it dies down. I love Spike coming home, sees these photos, like goes to the bathroom ready to because what is. What is um at one point? Oh, it's the night before when he's staying at uh, his friend's house. It's like, would you like to stay the night? And it's like, all that's waiting for me at home is a masturbating Welshman. <laughs> <laughs> Which clearly we're about to see in practice here is he's about to have some fun over these pictures. And I just love, and it's got just laying in the bath. It's like, hi, you must be Spike. And then he comes in to check it naked again. And he's just like, just checking. And he's kind of like, thank you. Um, And this is like really sweet stuff. These two like getting to know each other. Um, sort of just like sitting around the table and just, you know, this is, I think the nudity clause section where she's just kind of like, Oh, I have a no bottom clause and talking about like delicious Mel Gibson's bottom. And it <laughs> implied that Anna likes rimming because it's kind of like, Oh, what would you rather lick? And it's like, well, this one's tart. It's like, okay, Anna, good to see I what you're get into. That joke. You just you explained did. it to me. Well, that's the other one in Bridget Jones's diary. It's a really dirty joke implying that Hugh Grant and Renee Zellweger had anal sex because he's basically just like, you know what we did is illegal in like 42 countries. And it's like, <laughs> um, okay. Anal sex jokes. Alrighty then. <laughs> um, so, Richard Curtis weirdly into rimming um, and bum sex, but I don't, I don't think he wrote Bridget Jones's diary though. Did he? I mean, I know Helen Fielding wrote the novel. I think he did. But did he do the movie? Did he? Uh, let me let me confirm. I've never seen the third Bridget Jones's diary. That's got Patrick Dempsey in it because I think they killed Hugh Grant. Off, is it? Yeah, I, I think it's better than the second one. The second one was pretty forgettable. I don't mind the second one. That's the one where she gets stuck in like Bali, isn't it? That one's not too bad. Um, yeah. So he wrote the first two. He didn't write the third. Okay, there you go. Um, so this is when I love it. Like Hugh Grant's like uh going through the lines uh with him for this with Julie Roberts for the script, and she's like, oh, it's about a intelligent, beaten-down woman who has to stop the world for a nuclear disaster. And he's just like, oh, so standard then. And this is when he kind of throws in a line about like, oh, you know, Jane Austen or whoever the other woman is where she's eventually going to do the film at the end. And also we kind of have this cool little moment with the painting where it's sort of like, oh, I can't believe you like... It's not Renoir or like Da Vinci. It's whoever the painter is. Um, And it's basically like... To me, that signifies what love should be, like floating in a blue void with a with a goat playing a violin. <laughs> and again, Julia Roberts, that's with her banter and a comeback. It's like, well, of course, everyone knows that true love always has to have a goat playing a violin. Um, just the, the back and forth and the lines that they're reading here. And it's kind of like, oh, and I've got to get to tell Star Command that I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And if you tell me how many things I got wrong in that, I will uh, hit you. It's like, okay, then. Understood. How many things did I get wrong? At least 15. It's like, all right, well, I'm going to tell little Jimmy that I'm going to be home and still make it for his school graduation. You mean Johnny? It's like, my son's called Johnny? It's like, damn it. <laughs> it's just, I just love this, like, this whole sequence of them just kind of getting to know each other over this day. Like, 
And again, I'm sorry, you're going to hate me for saying this. I see them connecting and falling in love more in the space of a 24-hour period, spending the day at their home, than Bond and Vespa in Casino Royale in insert time frame Hugh here. Grant does not even know what to do with his little finger. Uh, that's the difference. But Julia Roberts does, and it involves Hugh Grant's bum. Um, <laughs> let's be honest. But um, so I love this moment when Hugh Grant's like sleeping on the couch and... <laughs> Spike comes down and is like, so you've got her in the room there. Like, and you're sleeping down here. Do you ever think that you might want to go and, I don't know, slip her one? And that's what my dad will always fucking use now. It's so awkward. My dad's like, oh, why don't you go oh, try man. and slip her one? Like, dad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, dad. But then I love how he's kind of just like, oh, do you mind if I have a go? Spike. Uh, so he sneaks up the stairs. I don't get the timing of this. You see Spike go up to the top of the stairs. You know their bedrooms are right next to each other. Surely he bumped into Julia Roberts coming back down the stairs here because, like, yeah. it's literally within two seconds because he hears the stairs creeping. He's like, oh, for bloody hell, will you sod off? She's like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. To which we get the sex scene. Well, the uh, implied sex scene. They hook up for the first time. Uh, we get this great little moment around the boobs. I'm sure you didn't get this. It's like, what is it about men and nudity, particularly breasts? They're just breasts. Um, and, like, I have been in these situations. Like, I don't know. Let me have a look. Yeah, no, I don't understand. Uh, what's the deal with these? Uh, <laughs> I've had this conversation. With, I'm sure every guy has had this conversation with a woman before. A woman? Like, Jamie and Noah I have had this conversation with both of them. Well, definitely not Noah. <laughs> well, he's had his part of the conversation. And they've been like, get away from me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not showing but- you my boobs, random stranger. <laughs> But I always I was tell Jamie the same thing. It's like, we don't have them. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's all there is to it. It's something, I, I don't have those. Those look like they're fun. I mean, look, Of course, I, they're not fun for you, but I mean, the, from the outside, they look all right. I don't know what Jamie does with your little Colin, but like, I mean, uh, with your Dexter Smythe, that's what we called it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I like, I mean, I've had girls who have like, I've laid there naked and they've kind of just gone like, oh, these are weird. And they're just kind of like, just, like, they're just sort of like, they're not doing anything sexual. It's more like, again, that think about it. Like when you are a little child and if you ever saw like another little child naked, what's the thing you do? Like, oh, that's new. What's that? Like, you're not doing anything yeah. wrong. You just, you're curious. And that's the thing, like, if the whole age old, if you swap body with another gender, what would be the first thing you do? I would look at myself naked and probably masturbate and see what it feels like with you. <laughs> like, seriously, because you're curious. You don't know. So, anyway, boobs are great. Um, but <laughs> basically, uh, Spike has called the press. So he's, sorry, he's told someone down the pub. So this is kind of the famous scene when, like, uh, the press are at the door. Uh, Julia Roberts storms out because she's kind of like, hey, like, you don't know what this is going to do. You're just going to be that guy down the track who slept with someone famous and didn't make a mistake and he's kind of taken aback by that like fuck whoops a mistake so she leaves uh reese Eifen goes outside and does a whole like hey in his underwear which is one of the more famous scenes from this movie um and then we get this uh ain't no sunshine where it's gone uh sequence which shows a passage of time i think there's one to be about six months have passed um, it's a very cool shot too it's like, so this was faked as one take yeah it was faked as one take but it's also very clever like if you actually look at the passing of time, so like you've obviously got like the obvious ones, like the woman who's pregnant, who by the end of it's holding the baby. You see Emma Chambers like with a boyfriend and then fighting with the boyfriend. But even like the timing of the year, like you actually notice in the background when you see the posters on the wall, you literally see a poster for Eurovision. So obviously like it's sort of implied that this is obviously like in about May that this starts and then it goes through like all the seasons. It's, it's very cleverly done. Um, and it's kind of just a nice way of doing a passage of time. And then you ultimately also see that clearly he's still strung up on her after all this time, which, you know, why wouldn't you be? Um, 
Emma Chambers randomly shows up and is like, hey, I got her agent's details. And he's like, cool. Uh, never, never implied how she got that, but cool. Also, we see that um, Spike has been hanging out with her a little bit, which is going to make a little bit of sense when they're kind of in love in just a few moments. Um, the guy, their friend who runs the pasta restaurant, which was sort of uh, alluded to at the beginning, his restaurant is closing. Um, and this is where like Hugh Grant's kind of like, hey, um, I'm going to move on from this. Uh, try to decide to get over it. Um, Emma Chambers is madly in love with Spike and they're going to get together, which I like... I kind of like, it's just kind of like a cute little moment between the two of them. Like it's, it's a bit like out of the blue. I get it. I know what you're going to say, but but at the same time, like this is where I think it's just the subtlety of the passage of time. And like, if you didn't have this scene of him hanging out with her, when she rushes up to the bookstore, it would make absolutely no sense. So I don't know. It's one of these things where it's like passage of time. Apparently like neighbors came back this week. I don't watch neighbors, but apparently the big plot twist was one of the main guys in Neighbours, who in the finale married one woman, in the, in the opening of this one, has married someone completely else. But there's been like a two-year passage of time. So that, And then the writers are basically like, well, two years, a lot can happen. So six months, a lot can happen. Um, so they're all ridiculously drunk. And then Hugh Grant finds out that uh, Anna Scott is in town and she's making a movie. Uh, I might cap it just before that movie-making scene because then I can really sort of uh, end it with the entire bit at the end there. Uh, I'll get to the randomness of that scene uh, because it actually makes a little bit more sense to me now. But yeah, yeah the whole blind dating thing, uh, that that thing about the carrots being murdered again, one of these like Hugh Grant's brilliant, very, very subtle lines where she goes, oh, so these carrots, she's like, they've been murdered. And he goes, oh, how beastly. <laughs> Just leaves it at that. It's great. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the woman who is supposed woman. to be like, oh, this would be a, an ideal woman or whatever. So she looks very familiar, and I realize why she looks very familiar, because when you click on her filmography, she's probably been in, like, half the movies that have been made over the last 20 years. So Emily Mortimer, uh, she's been in the Pink Panther movies with um, uh, uh, Steve uh, Martin, Hugo, the Martin Scorsese movie, Scream 3, uh, Mary Poppins Returns. Uh, she's actually set to star in Paddington in Peru with Hugh Bonneville. Aww. So. She she skipped Hugh Grant and went straight to the friend. Uh, but maybe I was, I don't know, yawning at this point in the movie, not because I was bored, but just I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I missed. Why, if this woman is so perfect, does he not go out with her again? Because um, this is when Anna Scott comes back into his life. So this is when, like, he's obviously... But I, I swear, before that happens, when he's talking about this woman, he kind of makes the decision, yeah, I'm not going to do anything. But, 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 but I think it does, but I think the implication is as with any sort of like movies or situations like this, like you can say you're about to move on, but all it takes is them to just suddenly walk back into his. This isn't where he decides to go visit her on set. This is where she literally shows up on his front door. So he's probably is. He's probably like, yeah, okay, I'm going to move on. But then she shows up back into his life. So he's like, oh fuck. Like, you know, but I swear this scene, he wasn't saying I'll move on with this woman. He was saying, yeah, this woman would be great, but uh, I'm not going to see her again. Like as if he's still not over her. Maybe no, that's what it's no, supposed to be. I don't no, know. I think this is, this is the, uh, the opposite one. I think this is more of like, when she leaves, this is when he's about to stay the night. And then he kind of sits down and he's kind of like, yep, like perfect. Like, I think this is, Mm -hmm. this is one I can keep seeing. And this is when kind of that scene just extends. So, yeah. And then she's dropped from the movie completely. Yeah. Um, But she ends up with Hugh Bonneville or, or she ends up with Paddington. I don't know. We'll have to wait till next year to find out. Paddington's a little minx. (laughs) But, uh, always has an orgasm uh, every time you go out to coffee with him. And what's the sound he makes? Oh, um, I don't know. What is the sound he makes? 
Oh, I thought you were going to do that thing you did earlier. Ah, whatever that oh, noise was. Ah, what noise did I make? I already forget. I make a lot of noises on this show. <laughs> do you want me to like go, ah! Is that better? Wow, that... that... <laughs> oh, no, never again. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little bit better. The first one sounded like a crying baby. I'm, <laughs> I'm not using this machine again. We're, we're that, one that, step that away from That's your psychopathic class. flesh-eating uh, robot. No. If we were to ever do a Kevin Bacon month, is there anything other than the air up there we could pick that wouldn't be like so depressing to do? Like we can't do sleepers. We can't do murder on the first. I don't know if we can do uh, mystic river. Uh, I mean, the river wild has got a bit of a oh, yeah. depressing ending, but I mean, Kevin Bacon dies, but it's still a fun movie. Yeah, that would be a good one. Um, I mean, we could do wild things cause you see his penis in it. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Bacon's Not penis. At all. Kevin Bacon's penis. <laughs> He's done, um, I mean, footloose. Oh, yeah. So we got four movies there that aren't depressing. Was it, he did a Keep Sutherland. We were Flatliners. Wasn't he in Flatliners? Wasn't Keep Sutherland Was in he? that movie? And Julia Roberts, isn't she in Flatliners? Oh, man. We we, we got to do Flatliners now. I think Julia Roberts is in Flatliners, yeah. isn't she? Because Julia Roberts and Keep Sutherland were... Were they married or engaged? Oh, I, we well, they were definitely about together this in for two movies about yeah. Julia Roberts that they were... <laughs> like, Jack Bauer and uh, Anna Scott were together? Um, but like uh, her taste in men was wildly different than the 90s because she went from Kiefer Sutherland to what was that country guy she was with? Oh, I yeah. love it. Oh, I mean, I'm look, like what? Look at the cast of Flatlines. Keep Sutherland, Julie Roberts, Kevin Bacon, Oliver Platt. I mean, come on. That's a great cast. I don't know if I've ever seen that movie. Or I think it was on TV when I was a kid and I started watching. Like, oh, I don't Kilmer? think this is for me. What? Val Kilmer's in Flatliners? Elliot Page isn't how old would they have been in that film? Unless they're oh, confused. no, I think that's a remake because they made a remake. Yeah, but I literally type in Flatliners, click on 1990 version, and then they've just got like all the actors here. But I don't remember Val Kilmer. I don't think I've ever seen Flatliners, no. to be honest. But I mean, again, it's got Kiva Sutherland, Julia Roberts, and Kevin Bacon in it. And William, William Baldwin! <laughs> Billy Baldwin! <laughs> Billy Baldwin! Uh, so is it during this breakup or is it after the next one where... Um, he's given the phone number. Oh, here's her American and her British agent. Oh, that and he was, throws it in was the garbage. after this breakup, sort of just before the, yeah, just kind of near where I ended it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, again, like he's, this is obviously a guy who's been pretty badly hurt because uh, I'm going to be honest. If, if I'm not married to Jamie and I hook up with Rihanna and Rihanna dumps me, I mean, this is where maybe I'm, maybe I'm not, I'm a little bit more sympathetic towards Hugh Grant now because I mean, she could be a terrible person to me, and I'm like, yeah, but it's Rihanna, okay? Yeah. I'll, I'll take her back as many times she's willing to come back. Uh, yeah, maybe that makes more sense. But then that just shows how how hurt he's supposed to be, though, when he starts throwing out the number and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah, when, when she comes to the house, I, again, like, just the, the chaos of like, oh, I didn't know where else to go. I view this differently once I finish the movie. And you do realize this movie's not necessarily about an actual emotional connection between people. It's probably more a physical connection between people, physical on an emotional level. Yeah. But yeah, she shows up. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I know where else to go. Ooh. It's just that spark. Ooh, as I said, it's kind of almost that love yeah. at first sight mantra where it combines. It's a, yeah. It, yeah. That's why it's like, it's like a combination of physical and maybe it's emotional. More, but it's, it's not more like than physical. It's yeah. Yeah. But, but there's, there's definitely that aspect to it. Whereas when you look at something like Sleepless in Seattle, I mean, they're, they're not boning as soon as that movie's over. She's just sitting there all googly eyed over him for six hours, you know? Uh, but uh, um, 
Yeah, the, all the stuff at the house is great, and I think this is this is what I expected almost the entire movie to be about. Uh, in fact, I I almost guarantee because it was pretty late in this movie, and I kept thinking like, oh, isn't this movie supposed to be about her hiding out and then the media finding it? It's the last act of the movie we're in now, and mm. that, that's that's actually quite late. But I think that's a lot of how this movie was promoted. It was that it would be more about you know she is you know hooked up with this guy, and now the media finds out, and she's trying to keep it private, like she's just gonna be stuck in this house the whole time. But uh, I mean, the movie's a lot more than that. The movie's more so just about the relationship, but that's just sort of an afterthought. But uh, Reese Ifans too, like I felt bad for him when she starts freaking out, talking about what is that 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 ape or whatever, that that animal, that furry furry creature or whatever that you live with is the one who sold it out. And he goes, no, no, don't break. Spike wouldn't have done that. And then afterwards, he's like, yeah, so I may have told a couple dozen people because <laughs> I actually was feeling bad for him. Like this guy's not smart enough to do that, but of course he did. Uh, and and is, is this like the the for opposite reasons but the same thing is like how tom cruise was in his underwear and risky business and then if you look at every movie tom cruise made for the next 20 years he's almost always in his underwear in those movies <laughs> re-siphons did this and the next thing you know he's doing the replacements the next year where he's in olé, his underwear again like, olé, olé, olé. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because we're watching this movie and i'm trying jamie's like i recognize this guy i'm like the replacements with keanu reeves and she's looking at me she actually just does this <laughs> like shrugging her shoulders like the only person no, I saw in that movie bell. was Keanu Reeves. Oh, it took me a while because I'm trying to be like, okay, remember he was the kicker? And she goes, no. And he was in his underwear and he was ole, ole. And she's still don't. Still the don't only one without an American <laughs> accent in that movie? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, now it makes total sense because it was all just Keanu Reeves. Um, yeah, the the, uh, the sincerity where Julia Roberts explains the, the butt claws or whatever about how you could show... You essentially show your crack, but it has to be only like an inch below or something. I 100% thought that that they were going to do another joke because they done like the the 15 million dollar thing and the the pretty woman prostitute joke that they were going to have a scene when they do sleep together that you were going to see exactly that much of her butt. <laughs> uh, they didn't do that. But that would have been a brilliant opportunity. Maybe her claws was different on this. Uh, but uh, when they're running the lines, like again, that's that's it's it's hilarious, but it's also just so real because like this is what actors have to do, and yeah, I, I can't imagine having to memorize all these lines. Uh, there's a podcast I listen to. It's for the oh, um, yeah, so the, the, it's not ours. <laughs> I love it. Good. I know. Ones. I look at the listening numbers. <laughs> but it's for the uh, the show Parks and Recreation. It's like one of the writers and one of the cast members, and they had uh, one of the guests they had on was a stand-in. And uh, it was Amy Poehler's stand. If you know who Amy Poehler is, she's like the star of the show. Uh, her stand-in from the show. And uh, it was a great interview, but she was basically talking about what a stand-in's job is. You have to learn all those lines and everything. And I'm just thinking, like, man, I don't know if I could do that. Like, I have a good memory, but I don't think I'd want to sit there and memorize I, all these lines. It's pretty painful. I mean, my acting ability stopped at, like, grade 10. But, like, I, I do remember, like, in primary school when I used to have to do, like, plays because I often was the lead in the plays in school that oh, of course you were i mean clearly the same as a, a hollywood script but like i always remembered like fuck this is hard but then i don't know there was just something like when you were on stage that it kind of clicked because you would rehearse it to a certain point that you remembered like cues and then off stage you could be like there and i guess like um you know when i filmed kill phil like we'd always have the script on board you know and that's where your acting ability ended yeah but like wasn't it johnny depp famously had like a an earpiece or something in in parts of the caribbean or something that like when all this dirt well, was coming out in the amber heard trial that it was like johnny depp like just never learnt lines so they just fed him lines into an earpiece but, but i mean i think that's something that uh, there's an acting technique behind that too because uh and if it was that he made a movie with marlon brando and i know johnny depp was one of the few people who actually got along with marlon brando Marlon Brando famously never learned his lines. He would always insist that they were 
not they'd be cue cards, but they'd be written on the set. And if you go back and even watch Marlon Brando movies, like before he was really big, like on the waterfront, so it, uh, his big breakthrough movie. Did you hear? I threw my voice and it sounded you like sounded Roger Moore. really Morris. like Roger Moore in Perfect. Live and Let Die. That was so good. <laughs> I wonder if Ben could tell like Madonna. <laughs> Hey, I, See, prom- this is I promised now, someone cause... that I wouldn't uh, play that clip. Don't tempt me. <laughs> like the one time where I could actually tempt him and he's not going to play the song. Um, <laughs> anyways, yeah, Marlon Brando famously, he would have his lines written somewhere on the set. And uh, like in, in the movie On the Waterfront, uh, you can you can watch that movie and you can see him at like the age of 24, 25 years old or whatever. And he's always sort of looking off camera, but it, like it looks very natural. And uh, even The Godfather would be the same thing. And he actually explained, I think it was to Francis Ford Coppola when he was making The Godfather, that he said, when people talk in real life, they don't think about what the next word that's going to come out of their mouth is. They only know what they're going to say when they say it. And so he would approach acting the same way. And I mean, the guy won two Oscars, one of the greatest actors of all time. So, uh, I mean, if Johnny Depp had an earpiece, that's maybe a little bit lazier. Uh, Somebody reading the lines is not quite as admirable as Marlon Brando reading a newspaper and it's written. It reminds me of, um, there's a, the friends episode where like Joey basically like had all these props and basically like, you know, he was like reminiscing when he was Dr. Drake Ramore on, on days of our lives. And then I think it's like Phoebe or Rachel goes like, why do these have all writing on them? And he's like, oh, they're all my lines from the thing. Like, because I, I can never remember my lines and there would be like doctor lines. And I think it was, it was either Noah Wiley or like Julianne Margulies or something did an interview about ER. And they're like, yeah, like when we've got those charts and we come in and we're all like, oh yeah, so you need it. You know, he's like, that's our scripts because we had to remember all this <laughs> medical lingo that we could not remember. So like literally when we're looking at those charts, pretending to be doctors, we're actually reading our lines because we cannot remember half the crap we, that we were told to say on that show. Oh, it'll totally change how you watch ER now. <laughs> yeah. But it, but it makes sense because you have so much technical jargon you have to have. And that's why I think this scene, it, it doesn't necessarily... We never really find out if she's supposed to be a great actress. She kind of makes a comment about how she's not a great actress. She wins an Oscar. I mean. (laughs) But I mean, she wins an Oscar for a movie with a psychopathic flesh-eating robot and Misha Barton in it. You know, like, uh, I don't know if that's meant to be. I don't know if that's meant to be like a joke. Misha Barton, future Logie Award winner, (laughs) Misha Barton. Excuse me. Well, I mean, I, I almost wondered whether her winning the Oscar was supposed to be like a a bit of like, it's a comedy. We're having a, a bit of a joke. This isn't an Oscar winning actress. But like this is the one scene where it's like okay anybody would struggle with this. But the way that she plays it, not just the one where she's talking about oh yeah I have a son named Johnny. It's the way that he says that Johnny oh I have a son named Johnny and she, well then get a message to him too. She's just <laughs> improvising the script. <laughs> yes. Um. Uh. Yeah. I mean uh, the the whole season uh, change effect it was really cool because I mean you're seeing the seasons change subtly and yeah you mentioned like the baby and everything. The thing that I was zeroed in on was one of the posters on the wall is for. Uh, uh, it, it nobody uh, probably only people in England know this. I just I kind of have a love for '90s Britpop music, uh, even some of the more obscure stuff. And there's a band called the Blue the Blue Tones that mm. uh, there's a poster on the wall for. And uh, there's there's several other songs that are really good. There's one great song they have called "Cut Cut Some Rug," I think it's called, or "Cut Cut a Rug." What are you saying there? Uh, cut, no, cut 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 Cut. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, great, great band, the Blue, the Blue Tones. So uh, if somebody has a chance, listen to them. Uh, Hugh Grant and whoever is in Notting Hill, that's a real poster. You're lucky you got to see them in concert because I don't think I ever will. Cool. Uh, so the last part of the movie. Um, so basically 
Um, this is where Hugh Grant finds out that she's in London. So she goes to the uh, set of this Jane Austen or the other British author, which... Um, Henry James. Henry James. Thank you. So like, because Hugh Grant did Sense and Sensibility. Didn't he do another sort of like hoity-toity British, like oh, cult, there... uh, Noah's least favorite genre of film? <laughs> I know that around the time that uh, like Four Weddings and Sensibility came, there's another one because I, I always remember the title of it. it was really funny, but I think I saw the movie and it was not what you expect. It was called The Englishman Who Went Up the Mountain But Came Down a Hill. But it was the same type of like era, like Victorian era movie. My mum loved all these movies and I would always get oh, them all. Oh, Jamie's obsessed with them. Always get them all confused because our VHS shelf was just filled with like this. And then she was in love with... um. Uh, Pride and Prejudice, the Colin Firth version, which I think all women were. Yeah. And the fountain scene or something like that. But um, like that's, we really have to do Bridget Jones' diary. We've talked about it enough. But like, that's where it's really funny. The fact that he's called Mr. Darcy and she's obsessed mm-hmm. with that. And then if I've, I've actually read the Bridget Jones' diary books. And I remember in that book that the character of Bridget in that book is obsessed with Colin Firth. So I think that was kind of like an in-joke that they actually got Colin Firth to play Mr. Darcy in the Bridget Jones movie. Like, And Renee Zellweger, does she not do the best British accent ever? Like, I honestly, for yeah. my entire life, thought she was British. Kind of like Angelina Jolie, because I watched Tomb Raider so much. I thought they were both British. It may have been on the Tomb Raider episode we talked about this, but I remember the like, huge controversy when she was cast mm. as Bridget Jones, because like they cast a woman from Texas. So she, a very there's attractive few woman, things, too. Like, yeah, but like, there's it's like James Bond, you know? There would be an uproar if you cast a non-Brit to play James Bond now. I mean, there was some controversy even with Angelina Jolie playing Lara Croft. But, like, Bridget Jones, like, people were genuinely really upset and wanted to boycott the movie. And then the second even a trailer came out, people were like, well, we were wrong. It's, this is the greatest British accent we ever heard. It was, it was also it was very similar around her looks. Like, I mean, I say very attractive. It was yeah. similar to um, Charlize Theron Monster. So, they were both like, yeah. how the hell can you get, like, maybe the most attractive woman in Hollywood to play this frumpy, like... You know, mm-hmm. that's what the, the endearing characteristics of Bridget Jones was. And they're similar with Monster with Charlize Theron. Like, oh, my God. Like, have you seen Monster? Monster's a great film. We should do that one time. No, I haven't seen it. Great. It's the one she won the Oscar for, um, mm-hmm. where she's playing Eileen Warnos, the serial killer. It's a great movie. Um, Christina Ricci in that movie. I think that was like her comeback. She'd gone away for a while, and now she's back, isn't she? Um, so, anyway, he's on the set. I love this security guard, like, doing his job well. He's just like, oh, hello. I'd like to see Anna Scott, please. Yeah, I can't let you through, mate. Like. Oh, but I'm a friend of her. Yeah, can't let you through. Uh, He's so nice about it, too. I know, very British. But, he, like, I think this guy really is a security guard because that's how some security guards are like. <laughs> like, some are in your face and like, oh, you're wearing the wrong shoes, piss off. But others are just very much like they're assertive but nice, you know. Yeah. But then, um, so uh, Anna Scott shows up and she's all like, oh, hey, like, we're really behind, but, like, um, like come watch me film and I'll talk to you afterwards. This is where he's listening into to um, what's going on with the dialogue and she's talking to some British guy. And th- I mean, in all fairness, I'm kind of team Julia Roberts here because who is this guy? He's been so nosy. Like, oh, I don't think we're going to finish here today. And like, look at that woman with a massive bottom. It looks like, you look at that woman. She doesn't even have a big bum, you stupid asshole. And then he's just basically all creepy McGee because he's all like, oh, who was that guy I saw you talking to before? It's like, are you her boyfriend? Like, who are you? Like, why are you being so nosy? Um, and obviously she's kind of like, oh, he's a nobody, somebody from my past, you know, a bit surprised that he's here, to be honest. I mean, like, obviously that's hard to hear and you can see why Hugh Grant gets up, but like, she's obviously going to explain that a little bit later, but I can kind of understand doesn't it. Like, she, yeah, but doesn't she also say it's actually all kind of very awkward? Like she even, she could have just said, oh, I'm not really sure why he's here, but I think he, she even goes further and says like, yeah, it's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. But like at the same time, like I'm sure you talk to Jamie and say not very nice things about me. It's like, I talk to myself about how not very nice things about you. Like, I'm sure there are things that we I, I, say to certain people that we maybe don't fully mean. 
Um, it's actually the opposite. I, I usually say <laughs> nice things about you to Jamie and just terrible things to your face. He's my best friend. I love him and I love Madonna. And I really hope we can go see a Madonna concert together one day because she's so amazing. He's just he's 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 turned me on to a whole new world of like beautiful enchanting music. He's so talented <laughs> with his filmmaking. Kill Phil. Oh, it's so good. And oh. his podcasts are impeccable. <laughs> oh, Almost as funny. They're on par with the same humor. As, uh, <laughs> They're e- equally wh- funny. While I listen to as, Parks and Recreation. Parks and Recreation. <laughs> um, so he leaves. He's back at his bookstore. Um, what's the the bookkeeper's name? I like him. The 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 other guy. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Hugh? What is his name? Is it Hugh? No, that's Hugh Grant. Um, Tony. Tony. <laughs> Tony. Uh, is his name Richard McCarb? And I, I swear he's in other things as well. But um, so uh, Hugh Grant's doing the books. Uh, Tony comes in sort of like, oh, so um, you've got a delivery. It's like, well, you can handle the delivery. No, no, this one's for you. And here is Julia Roberts showing up. Um, she's got like a painting and kind of, you know, this is the, obviously the very famous scene, but it's kind of interrupted a couple of times when he's got to go talk to his mum. Uh, oh, we didn't even talk about the, the one of the best side characters in this movie. The guy who comes in the store. Got any Jane Austen? Oh, yeah. no, this is a travel book store. All <laughs> oh, right, okay. Got any Charles Dickens? No, no, no. That wouldn't be a travel book, would it? Right, right. How about Winnie the Pooh? Uh, Tony, your customer. Uh, <laughs> which he then shows up again. No, don't even think Get about out. it. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> which again, I work retail. I had customers like that. You could tell them a hundred <laughs> times and they would keep like, no, no, I just said that that's not true. The, the best one I ever had was... Um, it was like back when ER was still on air, right? They might've been up to like, I don't know, season 13, let's say it was on TV and they'd only released up to say season nine on DVD. So this person came in and was like, oh, hi. Yeah. I wonder if you got a season uh, 14 of ER on DVD. I'm like, oh, well <laughs> actually no, they're, they're only up to like, uh, I think nine has just been released and 13 is currently on TV. Oh no, no, that's incorrect. Um, no, no. My, my friend bought season 14 of ER on DVD last week. So I'd like to buy it. Thank you. I'm like, well, no, no, you're not listening to me. So I, I literally explained, kept arguing, I kept showing them like evidence. Like, this is the current IMDb. air dates of ER. As you can see, episode 12 of season 13 is airing tomorrow night in the US. Oh, that must be wrong because they've definitely, I'm like, <laughs> I thought so. I'm glad that your friend has been able to get, like, you know, I think it was John Stamos at that time and uh, the, the woman from like uh, Ben like Beckham. Like, I'm glad he's been able to get all of them into his living room and film it and buy a DVD, <laughs> but it is not possible. I don't know. I'll, I'll just go to Target or something. You're wrong. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> bye. Um, thanks for listening. Um, Pick me up a copy while you're there. I'll yeah, pay exactly. you for it. Good <laughs> money. <laughs> Dying to see what happens to John Stamos in season 14. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I love this moment when like Hugh Grant's got to go take this phone call from his mum. And Tony's like, by the way, I just want to tell you, Ghost was fantastic. And I was just like, yeah, it was. Pretty good film. Right, yes. I've always wondered what Patrick Swayze is like in real life. Oh, well, I, I couldn't tell you. I've never met him. Oh, you two weren't close on the set of Ghost? I <laughs> know. Uh, I'm sure he was with Demi Moore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to which then he leaves. I'm a big fan of you, by the way. Uh, which I just love these like subtle little digs. They've kind of got it like Julia Roberts' big rivals from the 90s because... I don't yeah, think we really we didn't, we didn't really talk about Demi Moore last week, did we? I mean, she was only in a couple in the early '90s, but she was still in the early '90s up there with Julia Roberts as the biggest star of the '90s. Well, um, in pre my best friend's wedding, uh, Demi Moore is the one who had the record for the highest female salary. Yeah. I think she earned like 
14, $15 million for that G.I. Jane movie. That well, that's how we're allowed to yeah, mention that, that was... without Will Smith slipping, <laughs> slapping us. But um, yeah. <laughs> I remember the hype around that coming out. But, like, I mean, again, you've never seen the Charlie's Angels movies, but I remember what a big deal that was in 2003 when, like, she was in that film. That was, like, Pete, mm. her and Ashton Kutcher. Uh, I mean, she was, what, like, in a mid to late 40s at that time. But, God, she looked hot in that movie. Um, and, like, everybody made a massive deal about that. Um, so, but this then basically leads to the, you know... Anna Scott basically been like, look, hey, like I've had to think about it, like, you know, and I'm just I'm just wondering, like, maybe you could give us a shot. Like, you know, I know I treated you badly. I know I, I was wrong, but I've been thinking about you a lot. I wanted to bring this to you. And then you came and saw me. So like it, you know, gave me the courage to come and see you. And then he's just basically like, well, you know, I kind of did hear you say that I was a nothing. And she was just like, well, you know, it's, it reminds me of the Mighty Ducks scene. When, like, the kids overhear Gordon Bombay telling Coach Riley, oh, yeah. like, these kids are a nobody. They don't even deserve to exist. Um, so, and then he's just basically like, you know, like, no, like, I can't. Like, you know, I've, I've taken this long to get over you, but, like, you might break my heart again. And then all of a sudden, like, mm. you know, I'm going to see you every day. And, like, you know, you're this big Hollywood star. And then I love just, like, her line. Like, it's kind of, it is overdrawn. Like, it was kind of milked. It's this famous, like, you know shut up, shut up, you had me at a hello. Like, it's all these these mm-hmm. famous lines that get done to death. But, like, when you watch it like, here, when she's just basically like, like, the fame thing's not real. Like, at the end of the day, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love me. Like, it's such a <laughs> sweet fucking line. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's what I was saying before. Like, I, I hated this line having never seen the movie and didn't even want this line to be read or, or, or uttered when I knew this scene was coming. And then as soon as I watched, I'm like, well, that's really good. <laughs> yeah. And like, she delivers it in such a great way, Julia Roberts, like just the way it does. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of heartbreaking with the tears, kisses, she leaves. And then like, it sets up your age old romantic comedy trope of the boy's got to get the girl at the end, you know, the, the speaker box, the freaking you know, Barkley in the park, like all these kind of stuff. So he's got this conversation in the, um, in the room and they're all just kind of like, Oh no, you're right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Yeah. We heartbroken. Yep. You know, you definitely made the right decision anyway. And then Spike walks in, you daft prick. (laughs) (laughs) To which they then like had this epic chase scene basically through London to get there. Uh, We get this great moment like when they're getting into the car, uh, like, and he's like, no, she's coming with me. I don't care that she's in a wheelchair, puts it in the car. You got like Spike in the background. And they're like, oh, where are we going to? The Ritz Carlton. Well, if we take left, we take whatever. He pulls over the, the main guy, um, not Hugh Bonneville, the other guy. And it's basically like, will you all shut up? Who's driving this car? I am. Whose directions are we following? I am. And then he delivers the great line of, James Bond never had to put up with this shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we love a James Bond line. So good. Um, they go to this hotel. We meet our receptionist guy again. Uh, yes, we're here to see uh, uh, Bambi, uh, Flintstone, <laughs> uh, Minnie Mouse. No, sir. No, sir. No, sir. It's like, oh. But uh, Anna Scott, or nobody's no, Pocahontas was here uh, and she yeah. left like 15 minutes ago. But I did hear that she's got a press conference in like 15 minutes over at the Hilton. So they all lean in and kiss him. And then this like Japanese businessman comes in and he sort of like bows, leans in and kisses. And it's like, any messages for me? <laughs> and I just love this guy. He reminded me of the guy from Pretty Woman. Uh, like he's, just, yeah. he's so charming and nice. Like, he's like, oh, like I love this guy. Um, they get to the, it's a Savoy or whatever it is. And then, uh, Reese Ivins basically sacrifices himself so the car can get through. Um, and I love it. Are you an accredited member of the press, sir? 
It's like, oh, yes, yeah, blockbuster video. Just... <laughs> Sir, like, that was a blockbuster video card. But, I did, but again, Hugh Grant sells it well. He's like, yes, I work for the in-house magazine. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> like uh, we, and like, in all fairness, we had a video chat. I, I, we, I, we didn't really, Blockbuster wasn't really a thing in Australia. We had Blockbuster, but they were very like few and far between. You talked about it recently about um, local video stores being more of a yeah. thing. Like in Tasmania, it was Video City. You've heard Noah and I talk about it all the time. That was a statewide chain everyone shopped at. But the national chain that was big in Australia was called Video Easy, E-Z-Y. And I remember you would go there and they would always have like the little monthly magazine that was free. And it would have like, hey, like Notting Hill is out this month and we got an exclusive mm. with Hugh Grant. And it'd literally be like five lines that clearly a publicist had sent through and they made it seem like they'd interviewed him. But still you're like, wow, Video Easy interviewed Hugh Grant. So like that could work. I'm sure Blockbuster did have a mm. magazine. Um, our, our beloved wheelchair lady, I'm sorry, I do not know your name. She's like, she comes in to help out though and is basically like, I'm here. He's writing an article on the um, the <laughs> hotels in Britain and their poor treatment of disabled people. And he's like, oh, right through, sir. Like, very 2023. Uh, <laughs> and then we get this epic, like, press conference scene, the big scene at the end where she's all like, hey, yeah, I'm leaving. Um, and then British press, like, prying into their affairs. Like, I'm like, oh, you're breaking up with your boyfriend, are you? And it's like, yeah, well, he's an asshole. And it's like, well, last time you were here, you were fucking a British guy. What happened to him? And it's like, oh, we were just friends. And then when Hugh Grant like kind of puts his hand up, bit of a mistake here because the publicist says, oh, just one more question to which one question's asked. Then when Hugh Grant puts his hand up, he goes, oh, yes, you, Hugh Grant. Um, like um, you just said last question like two minutes ago. I think I think he said, I thought he said last questions, which is implying we'll take a couple more. I thought he said last question. And being in these situations before, generally the publicists and that are pretty strict when they have like one question to go. But anyway, uh, and then we kind of get this cool like back and forth between the pair of them sort of asking questions. And it's like, uh, what if he like changed his mind and was a bit of a daft prick about it? Uh, Would you stay here uh, longer and would you change your mind? And then I kind of like it. There was that one person was like, how long are you in London for? And it's like, oh, I'm leaving tonight. And then the publicist is like, Oh, uh, Jenkins, ask that question again. How long are you in London for? Indefinitely. And then all of a sudden they realize who it is. Photograph, photograph. Oh, it's so sweet. And then this kind of leads us into the final montage of She's in the only one I know. Elvis Costello. Um, Hugh Bonningville is the uh, Spanish uh, head of Federation. Kisses a woman without consent. Uh, Don't know if he's (laughs) getting fired and being interviewed by Piers Morgan about this. Unconsensual (laughs) kiss. Uh, 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 uh. Bad, bad, bad. Um... And the last one, like, just before, I know you're going to say it, like, I kind of would be fine with them ending the movie right here. I think, like, you know, like, flashy, flashy, camera, camera, <laughs> cue into Shania Twain. But I also kind of do like this little closing montage where you kind of, like, see they obviously get married. Her wedding dress is ugly as fuck, by the way. Can I just point that out? Um, I like him, like, showing up to this movie premiere, which I don't know if you read the trivia about this, but apparently, like, this is at some famous London location. And, like, Richard Curtis and all are like, hey, like, can we please film a fake movie premiere here, premiere here for the movie? And they were all like, no, we can't trust people. Because, like, a week before that had, like, a Leonardo DiCaprio movie premiere there. And, like, oh, the Italian director. Everybody went crazy and, like, everybody, like, destroyed it and all that sort of stuff. So they had to, like, talk them into allowing them to film this over-the-top film premiere. Um, and then kind of we close out the movie with a nice little scene of them laying on the bench that we saw with them, the whoopsie daisy Daisy scene. She's pregnant and um, he's reading. Um, Horse some, and Hound. Uh, no, it's some famous book. Um, I think it's supposed to be like a Henry James novel. Yeah. And then it sort of ends. And then we get uh, Shania Twain. And that is Notting Hill. 
Um, a couple things just on the cast here. So um, we have already run into at least one person of this who is in Tomorrow Never Dies. Apparently Tomorrow Never Dies is where all British actors got their start because Hugh Bonneville, second film he ever made was he played Air Warfare Officer on the HMS Bedford in Tomorrow Never Dies. There he is. Uh, and, and then uh, the, the other guy you were saying, oh, the the the, the other shop guy, um, Hugh Grant's co-worker. Uh, so he was in 1917 recently, but he was also uh, the surgeon's assistant. Uh, so he was Paul Bettany's assistant in uh, Master and Command of the Far Side of the World, a movie that made it very high on my top 50 favorite movies list. Uh, and now that uh, um, I, I read that, I'm like, well, I totally recognize him. So he actually did a fair amount of decent stuff after this movie. Um, <clears throat> aside from the, the cast, one thing that I actually noticed right around this point in the movie was that this could be done as a stage play. It almost feels mm. like it's a stage. This feels like if he took a stage play but said, let's make it a little bit more cinematic, maybe get some real locations in there because most of the scenes are just taking place in like the same location over again. You got the bookshop, you got Hugh Grant's apartment, you got uh, the the friend's house. Uh, and when you have other scenes like her, it's all very simple sets. And you have these long dialogue scenes. Like to me, this almost just feels like a stage play. Uh, it also feels like we're missing a little bit during this section of the movie. <coughs> no. Oh. Yes. Ah. Like a COVID shot. Uh, like COVID, yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, like the whole sister's engagement thing, like it comes out of nowhere, but it, it makes more sense when you say this was at three hours, the first cut of this movie. Because mm. um, there's several things that just feel like they're kind of missing here. Like the the friend's restaurant, like that took me several minutes to to recall the sister's engagement to this guy. It's it's fun the way the scene is played. Oh, I'm getting engaged to the guy, and then he's like, "By the way, I'm talking about you." And he goes, "Really? Okay, sure. Why not? <laughs> That's hilarious." But it just sort of just comes. It literally just comes out of nowhere. And if there is a three hour cut of this, I'm sure that there's more of that in there. But it, I don't think it quite works in this. And movie. I agree. Like I, I agree, and like I think, like yeah, I think. There's got to be more to this. And I also think that it's more of a case of that, again, you get that one scene between the two. But again, I can kind of just forgive it because also these are two very quirky characters. You kind of believe like mm-hmm. this isn't like Hugh Bonneville going to like Emma Chambers. It's like fucking the two most quirky people in this film that realistically, if you had to hedge a bet at the end, beginning of this movie, you'd guess they'd get together, right? Like it's kind of it. It sort of makes sense yeah, to me. I, I think you could have also just, if you knew that you weren't going to have the setup for whatever you cut out of one whole hour of this movie, mm. you could also just cut that line and it doesn't change the movie in any way. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's kind of weird that it's thrown in there. Um, True. Yeah, the scene where uh, he goes to the, um, uh, the movie set and everything like, this is the one where I was really screaming for him. Like, just get angry, like get a little bit angry because it is still a little bit mean what she's saying because she feels the need to add in there. Oh, it's really awkward or really uncomfortable when she could just be like, yeah, it's just some guy. Yeah, no, I'm just somebody I knew, but the movie has to have a reason for him to want to leave at this point. But like, this is the thing that pushes him over the edge of all things. Um, And it's the only thing he actually holds her accountable for. Uh, Again, I'm not faulting the movie. I actually think this is that, that once you finish the movie, you realize this is the point of his character. He is, not the guy who's going to beat a dead horse. You know, she knows the mistake she made. The only thing she's not aware of is I was hearing when you basically made me sound like a nobody. Uh, now, I also think that she maybe overreacted with the whole media thing. Oh, this is going to be all over every paper. It'll be there for the next six weeks uh, because nobody recognizes Hugh Grant in this movie at all. <laughs> they 
they do at the very end, but like he's in there asking questions and he's asking. And then even, I reckon there's a lot of that's probably been cut out though. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Though. But like he shows up on the film set and it's like, oh, who's that guy? Shouldn't he be like, wasn't that the guy you were sleeping with six weeks ago or yeah, six but, months but ago, but whatever it was? But I think enough time has passed that it's it's forgotten about, if you know what I mean. Like I think that's why there's a six month gap and it like, yeah, like I get what you're saying, but like if this was set like a week later, yeah, you'd unexcused, but I think there's enough time has passed that people would have moved on by now. Yeah, but, but I mean, the, the thing about he says him that. not getting angry... He does say that, but, but like, he Remember, he says that in the bit, like, tomorrow's news will be... Uh, you know, today's news will be tomorrow's fish paper wrappers. Like, that, he yeah. kind of implies but, that. And that's where I think he's right and she's wrong again. And I think that's... What's great about this movie is there's, there's sort of a point to it. Like, in the end, I think she comes around and realizes maybe I'm overreacting a little. Not, not that she's overreacting. She's not overselling mm. how bad the fame is and how much the, they will track her down in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but that when he's saying things like yeah it'll be over at some point you just wait for you know uh wait for this to become the what do you call it? the the newspapers at the bottom of a birdcage or something like that uh, like the today's newspapers are tomorrow's fish paper wrappers yeah so so uh, she kind of realizes that he was right with that and with him not getting angry again i all the way up to the end of this movie i was like wanting him to get angry and it's only when the movie finishes you're like no this movie only works if he's not that guy and the mm. only thing he calls her on is that one thing that that uh, was said when he was listening in. Um, I, I think there's a couple of fairly famous people when you when you go through the cast of this movie. There's a lot of yeah, like Julia Roberts uh, this, is pretty famous. Hugh Grant's pretty. I, famous. I think she is. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so do you know who uh, this guy Simon Callow is? Not Simon. Oh, Cowell, these like the the, the people who like appear in the movies as extras or whatever. Yeah, I, I did yeah. read about this, but some of them like there's. A, that yeah, that's is that the one where Matthew like, Modine, where they're watching that film and it's like smile, just smile. I've got nothing to smile about. Like that guy's pretty famous. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, this one not really famous, but this was probably just doing a favor. But uh, Joe Cornish was fan receiving her autograph. Uh, he's actually the uh, co-writer of um, most of Edgar Wright's movies, like Ant Man, um, uh, Hot Fuzz, uh, Shaun of the Dead. Um, there was another one I saw on here too. That was, it was all the movies. Yeah. So Matthew Modine movie within movie actor. I don't know which movie that's supposed to be in. Um, and I thought that the director was somebody, or maybe it was the sound guy, but anyway, too many people here to keep track of. Uh, but, uh, it, it is interesting that this is a Henry James play. Cause it means that she took his advice. Cause that's what he was talking about. Henry James, um, was a portrait of a lady. And the other one they mentioned here, wings, wings of something or other. Those are like some of the Paul more McCartney. famous things that, yeah, part, yes, live and let die. <laughs> uh, but it's kind of just the things that are unspoken in this movie. The fact that even though she stormed out on him, completely overreacted, you know, treated him like garbage. He's taken six months to get over. He's coming back all nice. During that time, she basically took his advice and did this movie, which would be something he'd actually pay to go see. Uh, I do uh, almost secretly wish that like the gift she gives him, which says, no, don't unwrap it right now or whatever. That when he did unwrap it, it was like a blown up version of one of her nude pictures that leaked on the internet. <laughs> that would have been a, a nice little funny twist there. Uh, and, and then, yeah, I love that that guy coming. He's like, don't even think about it. Go away immediately. <laughs> um, the the Japanese man uh, kissing the clerk. It's a cheap gag. This, this very much turns into like a Richard Curtis ending, whereas I feel like the rest of this movie is pretty mature in comparison. Mm. But this is so love, actually. Like everything from going up in the, 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 the clerk at the hotel is like oh well i can tell you that they're moving over here and then the japanese guy them cramming in the car like it's it's very over the top it's very 
sentimental, but like in a in an almost cheesy way. But like it works. This is what he's good at. And I don't remember enough from Four Days and Funeral to know if there was a lot of this in there. But uh, um, he he did uh, another movie. Uh, what was the one with Rachel McAdams? Uh, it was like a time traveling movie uh, about time. Yeah, that was I think the last movie that he actually directed as well. And it also kind of had the same type of tone to it, like very high energy fun, but at the same time, like all throw like all the other movies we covered this this month. They're all sort of throwbacks to classic movies. This might be the most modern of the ones we have. I mean, elements of Pretty Woman obviously you wouldn't get away with in the 40s or 50s, but uh, this probably feels the most like a 1999 film. But He's still using this style of movies that that's, you know, very much like uh, something you would have seen out of the 40s or 50s. This big elaborate ending with everybody cramming into the car and uh, uh, cheating their way into it. And even just the, the whole press conference, like it's very movie. It's not very realistic, but like it's effective and uh, brings me to the issue I have with the ending of this movie. Um, for one thing, I feel like just the better ending of this movie is just to end it. And maybe I'm saying that because the three other endings we had all just did that. They had the big happy reunion and then the movie ends. Uh, but I think it's also more effective because this, this isn't a movie about are these characters going to end up together forever? You know, it, 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 in reality, you're sort of questioning. She's just going to do the same thing in another six weeks or six months or whatever. Right. Uh, and he's going to be heartbroken again. It'll probably take her back. Uh, or maybe she's not going to, and they're just going to split up because they realize, hey, we haven't actually had a conversation. Like, hmm. um, do you have a problem with me being a vegetarian? He's like, well, yes, I do. I mean, you're not willing to have guinea fowl, then then get out of my life. <laughs> it, it could amount to something like that. There's, just, there's so many things about this last montage that I just don't like, and I loved everything else about the movie. It just, it felt cheap. It felt like it was unnecessary. It almost feels like this is the Hollywood thing saying, we need to show that they are together forever. I'm like, but they they probably wouldn't, even if they would be, I would rather just come to that conclusion on my own and not have it shown in the movie. You know what I mean? Uh, and and it's, it's a little bit too much on the over-the-top rom-com thing where you got the, the big montage at the end. Like, this would have fit more in Pretty Woman, I feel like, than it would have fit in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree entirely. I mean, again, I think you could end this immediately at the press conference. Of course you could. Um I just don't dislike this ending. I think it's kind of sweet. You know, it's I, I kind of like that throwback to the the chair and that, you know, like this is kind of what you want in some of these romantic comedies or romantic movies. It's, you know, we can sit here and analyze, go realistically, yeah, are they going to sit together? Probably not. But like you want that implication of happily ever after, you know, like mm. this. And this isn't one of these films that has ever been retconned and ruined by a sequel that immediately five minutes later, you know, they break up. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of, you know, like, I guess, like, we talked about that Indiana Jones in a way, didn't we? That at the end of the Crystal Skull, like, they get together and then within, straight away, Dial of Destiny, oh, no, they're broken up. Like, I was like, well, what was the point of watching that last movie? You know, like, it's kind of, yeah, but like, but again, I wouldn't be opposed. Like, if you just end this with them at the press conference, like, yeah, it'd be a good ending too. I think it would be completely fine as well. And maybe it's also just because all the movies that we've covered are kind of, predictable and that the, the, the formulas they're using are things we've seen a million times, but it's an old school formula. Mm. And maybe because this is the one that it, it's the most original, it's the most unique, which is crazy to think because like you mentioned that, that Hugh Grant comment, that's exactly what I was thinking. When I was watching this. I'm like, 
wait, there's got to have been another movie that used this plot before. It's like, no, not it's not even necessarily the plot. It's how the movie's done. It just feels so different and unique. And it's unpredictable. And a lot of the movies we've covered this month aren't necessarily exactly what you expect. And I feel like this movie was really unpredictable in a lot of areas. And then it ends with literally the most predictable ending you could possibly get. So I don't know. I have issues with the final ending. This is one of these things where I would probably just, you know, I'm not going to always shut. If I've watched the movie again, I'm not going to shut it off before this last scene, but I'll kind of remember this movie is ending just at the press conference. Yeah. I mean, the closest, I mean, I know they've made 80 different versions of a star is born, but I mean, a star is born is kind of in a way, like at least the lady, I've only seen the Lady Gaga version, but it's like, she's a regular woman who meets famous pop star and then gets kind of like falls in love, but that's more about her career. And they just happen to fall in love. It's, yeah. not, like, it's not like, and a lot darker. It's not like Julia Roberts is helping him to become an actor. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and then, yeah, but that's the thing too. Like one thing about this month is that we've, all of our movies have happy endings. Whereas like, you know, like yeah. the notebook doesn't, well, I guess it kind of does. <laughs> like I mean, Titanic doesn't have it. Like you think of some of these like tragic romantic comedies that have, and sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need to throw a spanner in the mm-hmm. works and be like, oh, he's a, and again, I always argue Titanic works better as a love story because Jack dies, you know, like I think that's spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. Um, All love should end death. Just, just everyone die. That's what all happens to us. <laughs> I'm just reading here about about time actually, and I didn't realize the main guy in that was General Hux, Don yeah, Hal Gleason, Gleason, and Tom Hollander's in that movie. Um, and Margot, <laughs> Hollander, Hollander. That's Hollander. Uh, and Margot Robbie's in that movie. Apparently, it must have been one of her earlier ones. Oh, so, I think that would have been before she was really famous. I don't even remember. Not would have been not long after she left Neighbors, because I feel she was still in Neighbors in the early 2010s. Um, Bill Nighy, too. Forgot he was in that. Didn't she do that Pan Am show that lasted like a week? Yeah, she did. Yeah. She was in Neighbours till 2011. Then she went, because I, yeah, I remember her like going to Hollywood and then it was all in the meat. Like, oh, she's landed this, you know, retro show called like Pan Am that like literally lasted like a week. Um, And that had Christina Ricci in it. Apparently she's becoming a thing. Hello, Christina Ricci. Um, oh, Goran Viznich was in it. Luca from ER. Yay. Uh, anyway, uh, this film, very well received. I think we've touched on this over the last few weeks. This is the highest uh, rated on Rotten Tomatoes of all the films that we've done. 84%. That surprises me that I actually got this high. Um, website's Critical Consensus, a rom-com with the right ingredients. Sonny Hill proves there's nothing like a love story well told, especially when Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts are your leads. Um, Variety's Derek Ely said that it's slick, it's gawky, it's 10 minutes too long. Definitely don't agree with that. Uh, and it's certainly not four weddings in a funeral part two. In either construction or overall to- tone, giving it an overall positive review. Um, it was named 95th on British Film Institute's 100 top all-time films based on estimates of each film's cinema admission. Uh, before we get to the box office, it was nominated for a couple of Golden Globes. Uh, was nominated for best musical pitch musical slash comedy, uh, as well as for best actor and best actress for Julie Roberts and Hugh Grant for the same category. It did not win any of them. It lost out to Toy Story two, won the best Ooh. musical or comedy that year. Okay, but that never got nominated for an Oscar though, from memory. Which to me, far superior film than Toy Story three. I will say it again. And Toy Story three got nominated for an Oscar. Um. All, all of my kids like Toy Story 2 best. They'll watch the other ones, but like nine times out of ten, they want to watch Toy Story 2. I, we, I swear we have this conversation every six months. But like, I mean, I know Toy Story was in my top 50, but like 
I maybe need to retcon that because I still think Toy Story 2 is a better film than Toy Story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love Toy Story. Toy Story 2 always gets forgotten about. Why? It's so much better than Toy Story yeah. 3. Uh, also nominated, though, in that category, uh, Man on the Moon, Being John Malkovich, and Analyze This. Being um, John Mellencamp. <laughs> being John Mellencamp. Uh, so Hugh Grant lost out to Jim Carrey, won for Man on the Moon that year. Also nominated were Robert De Niro for Analyze This, Rupert Everett for An Ideal Husband, and Sean Penn for Sweet and Lowdown. And Julia Roberts lost out to the esteemed Janet McTeer. Uh, do I know who that is? No, I don't. Uh, she won it for Tumbleweeds. Insert Tumbleweeds here for knowing what that film is. <laughs> uh, also nominated that year, Julianne Moore for An Ideal Husband, Sharon Stone for The Muse, and Reese Witherspoon for Election. That's Matthew Broderick's in Election, isn't he? Yeah, I've, that's a good movie. I think I've seen that a long time ago, but I forget it exists. Um Box office, this did very, very well. Uh, $116 million domestically. Apparently only $8 million worldwide. But I think this is really in that period where maybe they didn't count it as much because I can't imagine this only made $8 million outside of America and Canada. It was huge in Australia, obviously massive in Britain. So I'm guessing they just didn't have the proper ticket counting back then. So only Well, no. Hmm? Yeah, because I'm looking worldwide box office on Wikipedia as of 363 million. I'm looking at box office mojo here, and they've only got $8 million. So um, I'll believe that, $124 million. Uh, so for the year, now again, I always get this wrong. We do in-year releases, don't we? We don't do calendar yeah. grosses. So for in-year release, this came in at 16th. Um, but this was a year that a lot of movies, and of course this was a rarity back then, made over $100 million. So 21 hmm. movies in 1999 made over $100 million, this coming in at 16th. One spot ahead of Wild Wild West. We still need to do it. Uh, one spot below Double Jeopardy. Never realised Double Jeopardy made that amount of money. Good movie. Oh, yeah. Um, the World Is Not Enough was 14th. Uh, and for those who are at home, what was the number one film in 1999? Is that a, that's a dumb question. We know what it was. It's Star Wars. Uh, the Sixth Sense was number was two. my favourite character, Captain <laughs> Panaka. <laughs> and Darth Vader's wife. Um, <laughs> Toy Story 2 was third. Austin Powers, The Spy Shag Me, fourth. Matrix, fifth. Tarzan, sixth. Really? Mm. Um, Big Daddy, seventh. The Mummy, eighth. Runaway Bride, ninth. Julia Roberts had a good year. And uh, The Blair Witch Product at tenth. The Stuart Little beat this. I mean, Stuart Little's <laughs> not a bad movie, but it's not a great movie either. Um, opening weekend, this was... Uh, number two in its opening weekend, highest grossing uh, new film that weekend, but uh, a little film called Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace was in week number two, uh, made double the amount of this did in week number two, but also opening this weekend, The 13th Floor. Um, so this made $21 million in its opening weekend. Uh, the Mummy was in its fourth week. Great week to be at the movies this weekend. You could see Star yeah. Wars, Notting Hill, The Mummy, The Matrix, or Patch Adams um, <laughs> in its 23rd Still- week. <laughs> so wrong. It still made twenty thousand dollars, and it's I've loved it. Good on you, Robin Williams. Um, uh, plot keywords. Anything to add on box office or anything before we get to plot keywords and reviews? No, I'm struggling to find decent plot keywords on this. Oh, uh, we're well, on that page. Um, American Woman Month reference to Mark <laughs> Chagall Month. Um, Black Hair Month. All right. I saw that one. I'm like, this probably most movies have black hair. Featuring Alien, Grease, Ghostbusters, and Moana. Okay. Um, I think it was, it was the last one was um, Nerd Month. I'm surely Revenge of the Nerds or <laughs> Big Bang Theory is number one. No, Stranger Things is one. Big Bang Theory number two. Dark Knight three. The Simpsons four. Nerd. Uh, where is Revenge of the Nerds? I mean, not a great movie, but I mean, it's okay. Um, I, I don't know why this one kind of makes me giggle, 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 uh, giggle. 
spilling drink on self month um <laughs> good good month we could have top gun Notting hill she's out of my league and the station agent that's the one with bobby cannavale and peter dinklage oh who wouldn't want to watch a bobby cannavale movie um what about um welshman month uh i'm sure these are all Catherine zeta jones movies um robin hood notting hill industry and Locke. is that a movie about john Locke? Uh, oh, that's the uh, Tom Hardy one where I think he's in a car the whole time. Oh, well, sounds amazing. Uh, at number five, <laughs> we could do a Kevin Bacon movie with Amanda Seyfried. You should have left. Um, I really want to watch that Tom Hardy movie where he's in a car all the time. <laughs> oh, here we go. Impersonating a journalist month. Close to my heart. Um, Notting Hill, Ocean's 8, Gypsy, and Unsal Affair. Okay. Not Superman? Um <laughs> Does, does Clark Kent I'm not impersonate? impersonate. Or d- does he get qualifications? Is that ever explained? Does he go to school? Um, oh, good point, yeah. I've never seen it. Was that in Smallville? Um, <laughs> uh, the user reviews, so I guess one-star reviews. Uh, Katie's D-Design. Awful movie. I did not like this movie at all. Julia Roberts' character was extremely unlikable and manipulative. I could not see any reason why Hugh Grant fell in love with her besides her beauty. I was glad when he told her not to go after her famous Just a Girl speech as she had treated him so badly, then face-palmed when he thought he had made a mistake and went after her. This movie is also extremely long. My husband and I kept hoping it was almost over <laughs> and being disappointed when we saw it still another hour left. I want to run over the DVD with my car to save anyone else <laughs> That's the best line ever. She's just like very calm and she's going to get the DVD out like, well, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm running over a Notting Hill DVD so you will never have to watch it again. Uh, but I bought it, another copy of it. Well, I'll run over that one. <laughs> Thanks, Katie's D Design. Uh, it's you... too bad she ran over thir- season 13 of ER at yeah. the same time. Otherwise, <laughs> I watched it. Uh, oh, here's a really short one. Top Shelf Crap. Not Top Shelf Crap. Top Shelf Crap by Scuba Pro 32. Everything stinks here. There's absolutely no chemistry between Hugh and Julia. In fact, Julia's acting is awful. It almost looks like she's playing a figurant role instead of a head role. Okay. Furthermore, playing the, herself. The furthermore, the jokes are not just funny and worse. They're not. They are. They're irritating and inconsumable. Notting Hill equals nothing much. One out of ten. <laughs> cool. Uh, do you have any dad or? No. All right. Uh, buy it from me, Colin. Uh, what about yourself? Yeah, uh, definitely buy it. Um, I, I'm very curious what you're going to rank it. You want to rank it first? Or you want me to rank it first? Oh, uh, you can first. I'm a gentleman. Um, uh, I mean, I kind of came into this month expecting this would be last just because of the one I had no history with. Uh, it's definitely not last. I mean, I'm sad to say Pretty Woman is last on my list, Ooh. but uh, you've got males not being beaten. Uh, this is very close with Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, I am giving the edge to Sleepless in Seattle again. I I said it the week we did Sleepless in Seattle. To me, that movie just got so much better than every other time I've seen it before. Uh, Now, I've also been watching that movie for 20 to 25 years. This is the first time I've seen Notting Hill. So Notting Hill is currently going to be third on my list. But if we were to redo this list in 20 years, like I I, I have a feeling Notting Hill would be kind of like what Sleepless in Seattle is to me. Like each time I watch this movie every couple of years, it just gets better and better and better. So... Now it'll be number three. 20 years from now, Notting Hill will be my number two. This is like maybe the hardest one I've ever had to do with this. Um, I mean, 
again, sadly, Sleepless in Seattle will be last. But again, I still liked it. But it was just the lowest of them, easily of the lowest. But like, I gave You've Got Mail the edge over Pretty Woman last week. But I just feel so bad now because I, like, I want to put this at number one. But I don't want Pretty Woman to be number three because like, <laughs> I love that movie. I kind of just want to do equal first. But um, sadly, it will play that way. But yeah, I've got Notting Hill just edging over You've Got Mail, which is just edging over Pretty Woman. And then Slips in Seattle last. But, um, yeah, I've decided to give Notting Hill a slight edge over You've Got Mail. But I, I love the top three. This is maybe the best aggregate top three of any of these movies we've done. So, Or top four, top for that four. matter. Yeah, I mean, I again, know, we've had many Seattle, months. Still good. Speaking of many months, Colin, I don't have a sound oh. effect. But so a lot of people may be tuning in with the plot keywords going like, why do they do that? We did that, um, I think it was in our Mission Impossible movies from memory. Yeah. Um, and then the whole thing about finding this section on IMDb that has plot keywords, where basically, obviously, people will type in things that can connect other movies together. Is we thought like, hey, one day, let's choose the most obscure, random one of these plot keywords and then create an entire month around it. It's taken us a while, just like Romantic Comedy Month. So for that, we have decided that next month is our plot keyword month. And the plot keywords we chose, Colin, is what? Dead Duck! Yay! So back when we did a Coming Battle Boy. Coming from Hugh Grant. Exactly. We did a Battle Boy last year, and then, of course, there's a famous scene with Dead Duck, and we just, for some reason, thought that is the most obscure <laughs> thing we could do. So next month, we are doing what we are calling Dead Duck Month, featuring four films, which at least according to IMDb, and the key criteria is in each of these films, we need to rate the Dead Duck scenes are, mm-hmm. based on the plot criteria, the top four Dead Duck movies of all time are... Weird Science, Barbarella, Queen of the Galaxy, Exodus, Gods and Kings, and apparently the longest movie ever released theatrically in the United States of America, 1900, which I think goes for about six hours. It's got Robert De Niro in it. You see his doodle in it. Um, So I have never remotely seen any of these films. I've heard of Weird Science. I've heard of Barbarella because I think this is one of those, what, 60s, 70s movies that got controversial because yeah. he's in like a bikini the whole time. Um. Exodus, Gods and Kings? Is it a Jesus movie or an end of the world it's movie? Moses. It's, oh, uh, yes. But it, it's got Christian Bale and Joel Edgerton. <laughs> that oh, makes it any better. <laughs> yes. Um, and what we're going to be doing, similar to our bad movie month, we're doing an hour cap on these, which I have no idea how the fuck we're going to do that for a six hour movie. Um, and again, the key criteria is rating the dead ducks. So this isn't <laughs> going to be an annual thing. This is just a one-off. We'll choose weird plot keywords down the line for another one of these. But Colin, have you remotely even seen Weird Science, Barbarella, Queen of the Galaxy, Exodus, Gods and Kings, or 1900? So I'm I'm making a pitch if I could, if we're doing them in that order that I could do Weird Science and Exodus, Gods and Kings because I actually have seen both <sighs> those movies at least once. Six-hour movie. <laughs> Uh, that'll be a challenge but but fine. let's also let people know this will not be a deep dive month you no. probably don't even have to watch these movies to listen this is like our bad movie month one hour and we're done we're barely going to be touching on the movies themselves in this we got to watch them but uh um weird science i definitely saw it once years and years and years ago i'm pretty sure is that the one bill paxton's in i fucking have no clue I've, I've, I'll have to look it up because I'm pretty a woman sure in a dress and two geeks doing rock paper scissors over her or something like that. Yeah, I'm fairly certain this is like very yeah very early role from Bill Paxton. Uh, wow. So there's at least one thing to get excited about with that. Uh, Exodus Gods and Kings. I mean, I'm a huge Christian Bale oh, fan, Danny a huge Joel Edgerton fan. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is in Exodus, or in he's weird, in weird science. science. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think I remember. He's like one of the bullies in that or something. He's a high school kid. But Exodus Gods and Kings. It. Uh, 
got pretty excited because I think it's directed by Ridley Scott too, the guy who made Gladiator. Oh, really? And you got Christian Bale and Joel Edgerton. And then I saw it. I actually have the 3D Blu-ray because this is when I had gotten the 3D TV. And the 3D Blu-ray was like 10 Aaron bucks. Paul's and I watched it, it once and never again. Who's, Jesse. who's he playing? Jesse, he's in it. Um, he plays <laughs> Joshua. Uh, ben Kingley's in it. There you go. Sigourney Weaver's and- in it. All right. Just just not a lot of Jewish people. That's what we're getting out of the cast. John Turturro, uh, is he not Jewish? Uh, I, I think that Barbarella is the one I'm really excited about, though, because I saw about 10 minutes of that movie once when it was on TV, and it was weird. I Like, weird, weird. What do you expect out of the 60s? It's one of those uh, ones, though, that it's like it's that, it's that got that... I feel it's... You always see, like, that certain trendy kids have a poster of it in their room. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's like one of those, like... And it's not, nothing to do with Andy Warhol, but you know how like somebody will have an Andy Warhol poster in their room. It's just like yeah. oh, I've got the Barbarella poster in my room, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It, it, smart, smart pop culture. That's what it would be. Thank you. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm excited for this month because uh, more than anything, what this all stemmed from was when we talked about Dead Duck Month. I visualized our graphics that said Dead Duck Month. Yes, we have to do that, and that's what we're waiting for with any of the other plot keywords. I'm just excited to see what are the plot keywords we could find on the plot keywords for Dead Duck maybe, Month. May, okay, maybe that should be our goal, that each plot keyword month has to then be connected with some other, the most random of those four. Because, like, we do, let's be honest, we do a lot of these. We don't write them down. Maybe we'll listen to some yeah. of the months. We've, we've probably forgotten some gems in the past, but maybe that's what we have to do to, like, kind of mm-hmm. six degrees of Kevin Bacon them. I'm, I mean, 1900, Robert De Niro, Gerard Depardieu, Donald Sutherland, Keith Sutherland's dad, uh, is apparently in this is movie. He? Apparently, and Burt Lancaster's in this movie as well. So um, there you go. Got some uh, big names in there. But uh, yeah, Keith Sutherland's dad's in this movie. Have we done a <laughs> Donald Sutherland movie or TV show before? I don't think so, no. Oh. Uh, we can get no on. Hey, there he is. He's the son of the greatest Canadian of all time. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky's son. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, it's actually Kiefer Sutherland's mom, who's the daughter of the greatest Canadian of all time. Oh. He's just, he's Whoops. Kiefer's great on Sorry, both Donald. sides of his family. Donald <laughs> married the daughter of the greatest Canadian of all time. <laughs> I, I don't know. You What a family. Like, seriously, imagine Christmas in that household. Pass me my Julia Oscar. Julia really should have married in. Pass me my Oscar, Donald. Pass me my Emmy and Golden Globe, Kiva. Pass me my title of greatest Canadian of all time, Granddad. <laughs> um, shut up, Wayne Gretzky, you loser number two. Um, but join us there, 24 in the meantime. That's all happening and everything else. Listen to our other shows. They're pretty good. Colin doesn't because he listens to, oh, that Parks and Recreation one. Um <laughs> Oh, we didn't even mention about the breast conversation. They talk about Meatloaf having great tits. Like, oh, oh. come uh, on. And I wanted to talk about the fact when he's a horse and hound reporter and he's asking, like, are any of those as bad as what's your favorite Meatloaf song? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we should just ask those. We should just ask the closing of the Olympics uh, questionnaire. We should ask Notting Hill questions. Did you, yeah. <laughs> did you enjoy going to the Olympics? Which part of the Olympics was your favorite part? <laughs> Did you relate much to the 100 meter sprint? No, because I was not in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> is this your first Olympics? Uh, <laughs> which is, is that your favorite Italian competitor? Um, <laughs> Will there be any horses in your event next year? <laughs> well, yes, I compete in equestrian. <laughs> uh, do all the stuff that you're about to hear at the end of the episode. My name is Ben, and I have a dick the size of a peanut. And my name is Colin, equally funny to Ben. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. 
And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you next time. Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made.